I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Some of you know him as Hurricane or Gerald or Troy Annenberg. I can hear him fiddling around with something while I do this intro. Gerard, what's going on over there? I'm not fiddling. I'm text messaging. He's, I'm text with messaging. His, with his sources, with his sources, his guarded sources, whatever he's doing over there. Gerard, you know we have a majorly packed show tonight. Oh, and, and yes, I lied two weeks ago. I said we weren't going to be doing any late night podcasts for a while. And here we are. Gerard thought Tuesday was Wednesday or Wednesday was Tuesday, so we have to push it back to Wednesday. We're doing another late night. I have the energy, though, so I'm ready. Gerard, are you ready to dip back into possibly going into Thursday morning? Yes. And I'm not texting sources. I'm texting one of the latest scholarship offer recipients. Oh. Defensive tackle, Dejan Lafitte. This is Look at that, flexing. This might be one of our, 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 our new favorite names here to say, you know. You it's have up there. Tabarucci, Tabarachi, but uh, yeah, Dejan Lafitte. Uh, any, a any confirmed? Three-star out of three star. Colony High School in Ontario. Now, now, have I confirmed what? That's how you say the name. Or, yes. okay. Yes. We're we good needed then. that confirmed for the podcast. I didn't want to be butchering his name. And I uh, also just, you know, wanted to ask him a couple other questions. So we exchanged in Texas and I didn't know that it was causing a stir. Because we're uh, we're professionals is what I'm is what we're getting at, Gerard. We are professionals at this podcast. This is a professional podcast. Do not try this at home. I think that's the main <laughs> takeaway from this intro. If we're uh, true professionals, Chris, we would have a sponsor. Oh, last week. We were a little bit not on the same page. This week, it feels a lot better. Maybe it's the late night. But yes, before we get into a jam-packed show that includes not one, but two commitments, a big uh, tweet from a top prospect in 2024, some Friday Night Lights talks, some top performers from USC commits, a slew of new offers. We're going to talk about Fresno State, unofficial visitors, and a ton of of listener questions. And before we get into all that, that jam-packed show, we do need to shout out to the official sponsor, Composite Two-Star Recruits. You know her name, Meredith Schlosser, real estate agent to Los Angeles and SoCal. She's one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200, that's 200, Gerard, five-star Zillow reviews. Meredith has represented Justin Silverstein, head coach of USC's Women Golf, and Jeannie Buss, president of the Los Angeles Lakers. But she doesn't just do big-time names like Buss and Silverstein. Even a one-star like me 
can be a client. That's right, Gerard. I recently started working with Meredith and her team. Shout out to Jeremy Hensley, who kind of does their kind of their rental guy, who does their, you know, helps people get into rental properties. I'm looking to move, get a bigger space. And I recently started working with them. So shout out to Jeremy. He's he's amazing. He's so attentive. He's a grinder. He's a dog. And, you know, that's just part of the team. That's Meredith and, the, and their team. They're going to work tirelessly, tirelessly for you. Meredith is backed by a full-service team, as I mentioned, that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. 1.5%, Gerard. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her on Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Check out all the properties they have going on there. And seriously, if you're looking to, to rent or you know get a bigger spot or move or sell or buy a house, I'm telling you, go with Meredith Schlosser and her team, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. 10K sent you, Hurricane sent you, just do it. Now, Gerard, we ha- haven't, that's not true. We have had a cold open with a commitment recently, but have we had with two? Remind me, I, I feel like we haven't. This is a historic moment, maybe? I feel like we did at some point. That's, I feel like maybe, but I but I can't. Yeah, that sounds correct. There might have but, been a couple coming from the big golden hour weekend where there was two in one week. And I, oh, I feel like, yes, there has been two. But there has not been two from different classes. That is, you're on it today, Gerard. You're on it. So, yes, there has not been one a cold open with two commitments from different classes. So let's get into that. We have Baltimore three-star 2023 St. Francis Academy defensive lineman Sam Green committed to USC on ESPN at halftime of his game. Uh, chose USC over Penn State, Texas A&M, and Boston College. Was a late offer. Was unranked when USC offered him. Got that three-star bump uh, once, you know, we got a bunch of that attention. And then before that, 24 hours before uh, Green committed, USC got a commitment from four-star 2024 junior tight end Joey Olson out of Lake Oswego. I think I said that right. Oregon. Uh, I believe he is the number one prospect out of Oregon in our rankings. Uh, six foot five, 200 pound uh, tight end prospect. Started out as a wide receiver, but he projects as a tight end at the next level. We're going to get into these guys. Gerard, where do you want to start? Pick one. Well, let's let's start with Sam Green. Since he is the national television star, made his commitment on ESPN2, which was great for USC from a publicity standpoint. You know, you're trying to build momentum with your class and you're trying to show people that you're turning around the program. You go across the country all the way to Maryland, Baltimore, uh, near the birthplace of Christopher Trevino. You know, when you started in with that sponsorship, read, I thought maybe we were going to hear about you moving back to Maryland. But here we get Sam Green and uh, interesting sort of turn of events where he gets his scholarship offer and he's unranked. And the Trojan masses and the peristyle had their pitchforks and their torches ready. They said, 
Why isn't he rated? He needs to be rated. And lo and behold, he's not a two star. He gets a three star right away. Chris, I think it's unfair. I don't I don't think you should be able to just jump to a three star. I think you should move your way up from one star, two star to three star. What do you think about that? You know, I'm not going to go ahead and say I think he should be a two star because we've talked about this. Two stars are incredibly rare. They I thought are, you were going to use the soundboard piece there. That would have been no, perfect. No, because <laughs> full disclosure, I totally forgot to turn on the soundboard, so I'm going to do that secretly. So I don't have that keyed up yet. As you can <laughs> see, we're just rolling just with, with it. it we're rolling said. with it. We're rolling with it. But as we noticed, as we mentioned, two stars. Incredibly rare, Gerard. I can, we just can't be handing out two stars. I think a three star is fair. That's all that, I'm is, that is very true. But he played like a four star in that oh, game. Oh, against you Venice. just got a bunch of people excited, Gerard. Why did you have to say that? Well, you know, we saw Damian Wilson on the other side of the ball, and, uh, you know, he looked very good, uh, big sort of, you know, athletic defensive end. And then you see Sam Green, who's definitely more sawed off. He's 6'1", 160, or 260 pounds. He's uh, more of an interior guy, but he is really explosive off the ball. And we saw mm-hmm. that on film, you know, even at his other schools against lower-level competition, you see how explosive he is off the ball, and he actually makes – some pretty decent plays away from his gap. So he's able to make that one gap, just explosive move into the background, that first two steps. And, but he's able to have, you know, like four or five steps and being able to close on the ball carrier as well. So the biggest question about him, of course, is his size. And it's not mm. necessarily, you know, six foot six one, because there's a lot of exceptions to the rules. And we've seen that on the peristyle already when the conversation and debate erupted about whether he was too small to go after and why is USC going across the country? This is too much of a reach. And listen, that's perfectly, I think, within the realm of criticism that is understandable in this particular situation because USC definitely needs some game changers on the front. And while we know that Alex Grinch wants to use quicker, smaller, more mobile defensive linemen, I mean, that's where we've seen the ascension of Dijon Benton. You know, he's a guy that's a smaller, quicker 275 type defensive tackle rather than a, you know, 310, 315 pound defensive tackle. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still one of those things when you're comparing that to the big boys, when you're comparing to what Ohio State fields or what Clemson fields or what Alabama fields, they've got those bigger defensive linemen. So certainly it's going to come up. Listen, are we tr- really trying to be outliers here and and create a defensive front that's different is it going to be successful when you actually get to the playoff you know that remains to be seen but that definitely seems to be more of the angle in which Alex Grinch and the defensive staff wants to go and Sam Green sort of fits that now I'm not going to make any grand comparisons with him and Cedric Ellis you know Cedric Ellis was you know like he really came, came out of high school probably closer to 280 than he did 265 I think he was originally uh, listed at like 6'1", 265. Now, he was a really great wrestler, um, had pretty long arms, and he was a very good football player for USC uh, 20 years ago as well, by the way. Um, Mike Patterson, another guy, 5'11", 300 pounds, and he was just extremely quick. And again, it, he came in a very small footprint. He was not a big defensive tackle. So it's not like there aren't guys out there that can play that position, that can use leverage and quickness to get – by these interior linemen and be really headaches for offenses. And and Mm -hmm. certainly in a day and age where you're seeing more spread and you're seeing more quick passes, 
you got to try to get into that uh, offensive backfield. I think one of the issues against Stanford was the lack of interior pass rush. They just didn't have a guy that was really consistently splitting that A gap and getting into the offensive backfield because if you've got that slow mesh read, man, you you just tackle the running back every time. If you've got a a three technique that can get into that offensive backfield, he's just going to burst back there. You're not going to have time to run that kind of read. So I think USC is still playing around with that, and their philosophy right now is to be quicker. Uh, instead of bigger up front. Yeah. And that's something that we saw in Washington State with Alex Grinch. Um, didn't see it maybe as much as Ohio State, but he was only there, I think, a year with Ohio State as a co-coordinator. Uh, but we did see a little bit of that with Oklahoma as well. Probably not as much as you saw with Washington State, but obviously with Washington State, it, it's an extreme. You're not going to get a lot of 300-pound, 6'5 defensive tackles. So at USC, he does have – that option, USC should be able to recruit some of those higher four-star, even five-star defensive tackles. And again, that's where the debate erupts. That's where people say, why are you reaching? USC can do better. This is not Washington State. Right. I mean, definitely twitchy, definitely has athleticism. And you're right. You know, that size is something that's going to come up again and again, especially with Green. And, you know, we haven't seen him in person. I mean, Brian Dome, you know, the national recruiting analyst has been out there, verified his size, but we haven't actually got to see him up close in person. You know, we like to do that, but it's going to be interesting to see what USC's recruiting board looks like or the roster looks like once they kind of move into Big Ten country. Obviously, Sam Green is going to be a guy who's going to be on the roster by the time that comes around. So it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. Uh, He's rated at 87 uh, in the grading He's number 708 in the composite two-star. I did it again. The 24-7 sports composite. He's number 708, number 81 defensive lineman, number 93 defensive lineman in the 24-7 sports rankings. It was really nice to be able to see him play while also waiting for that commitment. It was a nice little preview. Gerard, correct me if I'm wrong. He actually played a little bit on offense, had a nice little catch and run there. No, that was uh, uh, an actual punt. Uh, they okay. went for it on fourth down, so it was a fake punt. And he caught the ball, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, I don't know, it was like 10 yards out and was able to, to have a nice run. And it was a big uh, a big down for, for St. Francis, who really dominated that game against Venice, a, a Florida team that I don't know where they are in the pecking order uh, in South Florida these days, but they're usually a pretty good team down in Florida. And uh, St. Francis uh, dominated them. And Sam Green played really well. I mean, he had a a handful of um, assisted tackles. I think he had, you know, pressures. I can't remember if he had any straight up sacks. I don't think he had a sack. I know he had a good tackle for loss um, almost right after he made that commitment in the second half. Um, So he was playing well. Uh, He did play well against top flight competition and St. Francis plays a bunch of national programs. So, you know, that USC saw that initial two or three games and him playing. And that's where, his scholarships came from. Listen, it wasn't just USC that came in with scholarship offers. Texas A&M, um, there was a few other schools that were also on his list. Penn State was also on his list. It didn't seem like Texas A&M was ready to take him yet. USC and Penn State were all about him. And so that's where you get that commitment. And um, it's early. You know, it's an interesting commitment to happen now. Um, just getting that scholarship offer from USC. But he said, you know, he's got some people, you know, uh, on the roster. He's got guys. Uh, like Colin Mobley um, and a few other players that he knows uh, from the DMV that are at USC. And and obviously they're saying good things about uh, playing out in LA. And so it was like kind of his dream school. So when he got that scholarship offer, I think he sort of made that decision even probably then uh, I want to go to USC. 
Yeah, you put that hashtag out with one of his edits. DMV to USC. What do you think, Gerard? Catchy? Kind of catchy. Well, and it and it and it precedes another scholarship offer going out to another St. Francis player, the junior Adris Farouk. Um, love the roll those R's. And uh, you know, Adris Farouk is uh, playing safety three star out of the 2024 class, but also played really well and looked good. And Sam Green was actually kind of talking him up even before he got the scholarship offer. This is a guy that's going to come with me to USC. Uh, Farouk is actually the cousin slash kind of brother. I think it's more like a, you know, brother in quotes, uh, but a cousin of Jaleel Farouk who actually plays at Oklahoma as a wide receiver. So okay. he's a connection. somewhat, yeah, familiar with the Oklahoma staff. And um, I think he's been around the Oklahoma staff a little bit because of his cousin. And so that's an interesting one to watch, you know, for the 2024 class. I had a little bit of a question for you. I was throwing a little shade because you were uh, popping off a little bit about some of these quarterbacks, DJ Lagway, uh, Elijah Brown. We're going to talk about them maybe a little later in the 2024 class. What do you mean popping off? What do you mean popping off? I mean, you were popping off and you were talking a little bit about Michael Van Buren, the 2024 quarterback from St. Francis. DMV, ESPN tells me he's going to be the next Bryce Young. What say you, Chris Trevino? I think it's interesting that possibly, you know, USC, obviously, uh, Lincoln Riley loves himself a good DMV quarterback. The, the Bryce Young comparisons are out there. They even showed a photo of Caleb Williams and uh, Michael Van Buren. Buren, it sounds like a like a Hamilton character, right? It sounds like a street somewhere in, like, you know, downtown L.A., like Van Buren Boulevard. Yeah, I feel like I'm saying it wrong, but Michael Van Buren – uh, they showed a photo of him and Caleb. Uh, they have the same quarterback coach who is actually was actually my uh, health teacher in high school. Look, I got all these connections, man. I'm all connected up here. But and you use none of them. Yeah, I I can't I can't I can't. Uh, it's an emergency. It's emergency only. Like I can't cross that line. <laughs> Uh, I'm just joking, but number 140 overall in the 24/7 Sports uh, rankings. Number 10 quarterback got some mobility to him. Got some big offers: Maryland, Alabama, Boston College. Obviously, he plays for a national program. Oklahoma uh, was an offer under him for Jeff Lebby for their current offensive coordinator. Penn State, Oregon, uh, Pittsburgh, Rutgers. So a bunch of those those you know big power fives and you know USC. Kind of searching in that 2024 recruiting board for a quarterback, DJ Lagway, Elijah, Elijah Brown. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if Sam Green in the year of Lincoln Riley, like, hey, we'll get Michael Van Buren. You know, not a big guy, you know, six foot, 180, you know, that Bryce Young mold. But, hey, things have worked out very well for Bryce Young so far. Yeah, they've worked out extremely well for Bryce Young. But I mean, I think from an analysis standpoint, that's the kind of offer you would think Lincoln Riley would be more apt to make than we've seen with a guy like Dylan Riola. Now, I know Dylan Riola is number one ranked quarterback in the 2024 class, but I just don't think he fits Lincoln Riley's offense. And I question whether Elijah Brown really fits uh, Lincoln Riley's offense. I, I think if it's don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Almost if it's if it's woke, it's broke or some weird thing if like it's that. Woke, it's woke. It's out of my mouth, but it, I would say if it's not broken, don't fix it. And that's to say, if you got so much success with mobile quarterbacks, then that needs to be the blueprint. You know, stick with it. I I understand. I think I think Lincoln Riley does want 
to maybe branch out a little bit. I, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, I've done it with this certain type of quarterback. I want to show people that I can do it even with the pocket quarterbacks. You know, that's maybe why um, he's made some of those offers to pocket quarterbacks. Uh, but yeah, deep down, you kind of wonder, geez, man, why even bother? Like why even mm-hmm. go down there when you've got Jalen Hurts and you've got Baker Mayfield uh, and you've got Kyler Murray on your resume of guys that you've been able to develop and develop at different points in their careers as well. You know, you've got a guy like Caleb uh, Williams right now who you recruited out of high school, right? You're developing from a high school player. Those other guys were transfers. So it's not only, and we mentioned a little bit of this in the recruiting angle, uh, I think last week or maybe the week before about how important that is to the transfer portal where you've demonstrated and proven that you can not only develop, but you can plug and play players into your offense and they can be successful. That's huge. You know, in this era where you have so many transfers from top players where you can put that out there and say, listen, you can come in right away and you're going to get the offense and you're going to be able to be successful. Uh, It's not going to take you a year to be able to kind of figure it out and everything. And so, um, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Michael Van Buren kind of is a little bit more profile-wise what you've seen uh, be very successful in that Lincoln-Riley offense. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was uh, a, a little surprised maybe. You know, they, they've been very picky about who they want to offer, and they've done the whole, you know, hey, you're going to be our only offer. Well, that kind of went out the window, I think, after Lagway basically started, you know, going and taking visits to other schools and, and – I don't think he made much of uh, – I think there was no behind-the-scenes feeling like, okay, he's going to be our guy or, or or he's – you know, they felt really good about him. I think they felt like Dylan Raiola, they were going to get him for a certain period of time, and then that sort of faded when he went to Ohio State and took down an official visit and everything basically turned on them. And they're like, okay, we're going to go after our next guy. And the next guy was Lagway, but I, I think Lagway behind the scenes – didn't give them that kind of vibe. And obviously yeah. there's Baylor there, there's Florida there, there's Texas A&M there. They're really kind of on the outside looking in right now for DJ Lagway. So then they go to Elijah Brown. I just think at this point, you kind of have to throw a bunch of offers out there and say, listen, we're not going to sit here and say, hey, you're, only, you're our only guy. We're only going to recruit you, recruit you. You have your offers out there and you sort of t- take a step back and maybe you pick and see who develops the best through this junior season, because if UC continues to play offensively like they have, they're going to have guys calling them. They're not going to be lining up, lining up. Yeah. Uh, Before we, you know, get too far off this and move into, we're going to move into Joey, Joey Olson's commitment. Gerard, just quickly, Sam Green's actual commitment at halftime. Is that the quickest like live commitment you've ever seen? I tweeted about it and it, you know, got people talking on, on, on Twitter, you know, they just threw it right to him and she just like straight up like asked him. I thought there was going to be, I was still setting up to get the story out there. And he just like went out and said it like, we're taking my talents to the West Coast. He just did it right off the bat. It was just like snap like that. Is that the quickest like live commitment you've ever seen? It was one of the quickest. Yeah. Okay. They didn't really, there was no build up. There was no, I was waiting for the build. Up. There's always build up. That's what got me. And usually they give the kids a chance to thank people, you know, beforehand, and then they make that commitment. They didn't really thank a whole lot of people or anything. It was like, boom. But they did talk to his mom afterwards. So there was a little bit afterwards, some follow-up as to, you know, her feelings. And, and you know, she didn't really say too much about him going all the way to, to Cali. Uh, but she did talk about just the journey. And obviously for him, 
I mean, it's been a whirlwind because you're talking about a guy who was not rated and he didn't have a bunch of offers. Uh, and then he's jumping around schools, clearly just trying to get a little more exposure. And, you know, people got in her ear and said, hey, you need to send him to St. Francis. And so she was kind of she didn't really talk about it too much, but you could see it in her eyes and she was crying. And she was just like, wow, yeah. you know, she said, you know, for all the people that were in my ear about getting him to St. Francis. Yeah, thank you. Because, you know, this is this is maybe not going to happen if he's still at one of those smaller schools in Maryland. Uh, he was able to get against that type of competition and, you know, able to to show what he's worth from a talent standpoint. And um, that's the big reason why he's now committed to USC. And with that, let's move on to the offensive side of the ball and the 2024 class and talk a little bit about four-star tight end commit Joey Olson. Now, this one was kind of a, a surprise. You know, USC put out a emoji, and then lo and behold, uh, it was like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, something like that, Joey Olson posts his commitment uh, edit, uh, number 172 in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 10 tight end prospect, number two recruit out of Oregon, the number one overall recruit out of Oregon in 24-7 sports composite, number 190, and also the number 10 tight end prospect, six foot five, 220, 220 pounds out of Lake Ridge High School in Lake Oswego, had offers from Arizona State, Louisville, Nevada, Oregon, and only had 11 offers, but, you know, given his talent, that was going to rise as his season went on. And this is a guy, like I mentioned, is sort of started out as a big wide receiver and, you know, projections, you know, Brandon Husband talked about how this guy is going to play uh, tight end at the next level. That's what the projection has. And that's a perfect weapon for USC's tight end room, which, you know, needs some more bodies. There's some some injured guys in there, some guys that battle some knee injuries. They need to refresh, get some fresh blood in there. They have Cade Eldridge, obviously, in the 2023 class, still going after Deuce Robinson. So I wouldn't say this is like a Deuce Robinson uh, reaction or anything. They just need tight ends. And 2024 was going to have some tight ends in it as well. And I think this is a really good pickup, a nice addition to that 2024 class that is now number eight in the country. Got Dylan Williams, Jason Robinson Jr., and then uh, top 100 athlete Aaron Butler. And this is a, a, a big pickup for that offense. And I'm not surprised given the way uh, – USC's offense have been playing through the first two weeks uh, of the season that offensive players are, are kind of lining up to, to jump in on this class. Well, true. I think it shows the sort of overarching success of the offense. And mm -hmm. certainly statistically from a reception standpoint, it looks good. But they haven't necessarily utilized the tight end position very much. And that's right. been something we've talked about that, you know, they've got Jude Wolf hurt. Uh, we did see a little bit more of Malcolm Epps. I mean, we saw him intercept the pass, and then he we did it all, baby. He did it all. A, a touchdown uh, late in the game, uh, but not necessarily a lot of targets for he uh, or Lake McCree. And, and they're playing a lot. You know, there's a difference between you know the targets and actual playing time. They're playing plenty, and you're seeing plenty uh, two sets, uh, eleven personnel with the tight end position, but it's just not necessarily a huge part of the passing game. So from one standpoint. It, you know, just offensively, you go, OK, yeah, I mean, I think this is an attractive offense for any offensive player. And that goes with the offensive line as well. Uh, at the same time, when you start to look a little deeper, it's like, OK, when are we going to see some more utilization of the tight ends? 
Um, is that going to happen here in the near future? Um, that just remains to be seen. But from that standpoint, uh, it hasn't necessarily been an offense that has been uh, super uh, sexy for the tight end position. Uh, I do agree with you that this has nothing to do with Deuce Robinson. This has nothing to do with the 2023 tight end board. This is all about um, just the future and trying to get some good players. And, you know, it's another win head-to-head against Oregon, which this one is a really surprising win against Oregon. This was one that uh, you could tell uh, just from the reaction of some of the writers that Oregon felt pretty good about Joey Olson. And the timing of this commitment and, and the fact that he's going to USC over Oregon, uh, it has him shook a little bit. I, I think Oregon's kind of trying to figure out, like, whoa, you know, there's other ones that maybe you can rationalize a little more. Uh, but this one out of your own backyard, uh, one of the top players in the junior class, I think, again, the overarching success of the offense and just the the, the style that they're playing and everything. Uh, Joey Olson, you know, I talked to him a little bit he's going to play tight end. I mean, he is a guy that can play receiver, uh, but he's up to six, five and a half, 220, 225 pounds. And, uh, you know, he feels like he can be used all over the field, but he's going to be a tight end. So this is not necessarily one of those sort of Drake London. He's a quasi tight end slash wide receiver. He's going to play tight end. He's not going to be in the same tight end position as Kate Eldridge, who's a little more of a halfback. Um, which is the position that Lake McCree is basically playing right now. Sounds like he'll be more of a Malcolm Epps type, a guy that maybe they use in the Y a little more. Obviously, it's going to depend upon the receivers they have and sort of you know how they want to build the offense around uh, what they have at the receiving core. Because right now, the receiving core is just bonkers good, and you have too many good guys there. And I think that's one of those things that statistically they're really trying to push um, the, the success – of Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and make sure that those guys are taken care of from a statistic standpoint, because that's going to be very easy to recruit uh, behind. It's not going to be really a big deal to have Lake McCree catching a bunch of touchdown passes or Malcolm Epps catching a bunch of touchdown passes. As we've seen, then not been utilized that much and you still get a commitment from Joy Olson and they're still the lead school by far for Deuce Robinson. But on the other hand, I think if you're able to get another Bolitnikoff award for Jordan Addison, you know, he's one of, if not the top wide receiver taken in the draft. And then, you know, Mario Williams and, and some of these other players are also right behind him uh, from a development standpoint, you can recruit off those statistics and those awards a lot more. It kind of reminds me, maybe I'm off base, Gerard, you tell me, but of a guy you just mentioned, Lake McCree coming out of high school, Lake McCree, similar body type, six foot five, 230 pounds, was more of a inline tight end, kind of more of a wide receiver, didn't really block that much in high school. That was something, you know, I talked about with uh, Mike Roach out there in Texas is, you know, has to improve his blocking. That's certainly something that Lake McCree has really, really improved on since he arrived here. His blocking was not the best. You know, I watched it in practice, but he has slowly become much better as a blocker. But that's sort of the comparison that comes to mind. Just reminds me of Lake McCree coming out of high school, six foot five, two thirty, more wide receiver than tight end that needed to improve on, on blocking. I don't know if you agree with that. That's true of most top receiver tight ends these days. I mean, most of these guys are receivers that grow into being tight ends just because of the spread offenses. And so most of these guys are not great receivers, uh, or excuse me, they're not great blockers. They're more receivers 
coming out of high school level. You can say the same thing about Michael Maps. I mean, there's a lot of people at high school are like, well, is he just a big receiver or is he actually a tight end? I mean, Michael Trigg, same thing. Is he just a big receiver or is he a guy that can actually play tight end? So, you know, there's not as many traditional tight ends uh, that are going to be rated high that actually show you blocking and passing at the high school level. Most of these guys are going to be receivers that are just big and it just becomes one of those things. Is he a freakish athlete that can do what Drake London does and be an actual receiver? Or is he a guy that's just big and tall and he doesn't actually have the athletics to be able to be a legit outside receiver? You've got to have to move him down. He's going to have to block at some point. And that just becomes a fork on the road. Whereas a coaching staff, you have to just look and project and, and, and understand, you know, what that that player's ceiling is in terms of his, his attributes. So, yeah, I, I think from uh, – for most of these guys, Jude Wolf was probably like the exception of the rule in that tight end room right now. Um, Josh Fowler actually played a lot of uh, wide receiver in high school. They wanted um, to make Wolf an offensive tackle as yeah, freshman Wolf, year. Wolf, I mean, Wolf's also playing at St. John Bosco, so a little different in terms of you know the the receiver position and the talent that's around him. You know, they could put him in line a little more. Ethan Ray also played in line a bit. Um, we'll see if, you know, he's able to recover from his knee injuries and, and be able to actually, you know, contribute a little more for USC down the line. Uh, but, uh, yeah, with McCree and Epps and, and guys like Michael Trigg and, and, you know, many other players, uh, that are the higher ranked tight end players, those guys have been playing receiver in high school. So it's always a matter of how physical can they be? How big can they get? And do they want to play that position in the box? Do they want to be able to block? That's the want to is the big thing. Like you can be bigger, you can get more physical, you can put on more weight, but the aggressiveness and the physicality and the want to exert that physicality at the line of scrimmage is one of the most important things. Who was the best high school tight end you ever saw? Um, OJ Howard, probably. Okay. Okay. I think he recently got traded. So Gerard throwing it back to OJ Howard. Anything else you want to talk about with Joey Olson before we move on to a specific tweet that had everyone buzzing? No, just a, a great get for USC. And I think that uh, 2024 class is heating up. I, I think that's the class right now where you're getting a lot of momentum. Um, guys probably feel a little more free with their commitments. And you might see some verbals here coming out of nowhere. Uh, Joey Olson did unofficially visit USC, so it's not mm-hmm. sight unseen commitment like Sam Green. Um, I think uh, Jacoby Lane has yet uh, to be on campus at USC, uh, certainly officially. So with Joey Olson, he did take that unofficial visit. So he got around the coaching staff. His whole family came down and they visited and they sat down with Lincoln Riley. So uh, this is not, you know, just an impulsive sort of thing, but it is a little bit out of nowhere. It definitely took some people by surprise. And I wouldn't be surprised if there were some other 2024 commitments that might just get thrown out there instead. I think the 2023 class right now because we're a little closer to it being real and signing day is a little closer and it's, you don't want to be just throwing commitments out there left and right. Uh, They're a little more conservative right now. And again, I said this before with 2023, I think some of the prospects and some of the targets that USC is involved with that are at the top of the board are guys that might still be committed to other schools. So that's one of those things. It's all going to be very low key those guys are not going to be tweeting out, oh, yeah, I'm at USC today and whatever. They don't want all that drama with the school that they're committed to. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to continue to watch 
uh, with these home games. And if they have turnout like they did against Fresno State, uh, that will definitely help the atmosphere. And I think the coaching staff will be more emboldened to bring in some some more visitors from out of state, whether they be unofficial or official. Gerard, thank you so much for the gift of an easy transition. You talked about tweeting out things. And there was a player in the 2024 class that certainly got everyone buzzing with a specific uh, tweet out the other day on Tuesday. That was five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith, regarded as the number one overall wide receiver in the 24-7 sports rankings, number seven overall in our rankings, number three prospect out of Florida, number 10 overall in the 24-7 sports composite, number three wide receiver in the 24-7 sports composite, where he is a five-star prospect at a uh, Opa Loca, Laca? Opelaka, of, Florida, Chaminade, Hollywood Chaminade High School. Got a, some great players from uh, from from that high school. I'd say that they they produce some dudes. All right. Well, this guy is the next one. Six foot three, one hundred eighty five pounds. Got some Ohio State crystal balls. He has just about every offer in the country. USC is fighting the likes of Alabama, Ohio State, as I mentioned, and Miami for his uh, signature. And he tweeted out. Just a little hashtag fight on with the emoji. I guess this is technically, technically, excuse me, emoji talk. Gerard, I know how much you don't like that, but obviously caused a stir on the message boards, on social media. I had a bunch of USC commits, targets, kind of liking it. You know, Aaron Butler tweeting like that's the move. Dylan Williams in 2024 class thinking come home family. Uh, Jacoby Lane liked it. So a lot of buzz generated by this this tweet from Jeremiah Smith. And this is a guy we did get to see over the spring, Gerard. Yeah, we did. We got to see him with the South Florida Express and one of the top players there. He's wearing his USC gloves. And I think he had a USC um, a band or or he had like a, a high sleeve on or something like that as well. And a uh, very good player. Um, definitely as accurately assessed by the Peristyle once again, interaction farming. Uh, this was not uh, any, you know, like he's going to commit here or anything like that. Just you having see, some fun. Just having some fun. Yeah, just, you know, trying to get some followers and what have you. But, I mean, USC is definitely in the conversation. They've been in the conversation for a while. He's got a good relationship with Dennis Simmons. Um, he knows some players uh, on the current team. That Florida, The South Florida Express uh, whole squad came out here during the spring and had a really good unofficial visit visiting with the coaching staff. And so – you know, this is one of those deals where USC is in it, but they're fighting Ohio State first and foremost, I think is probably at the top of this list. Um, you know, the local schools are obviously playing better. They're going to make it more difficult to to go into South Florida. You know, Mario Cristobal is going to make it very difficult um, to, to, to get South Florida players. Florida State is playing better, obviously. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where the ceiling is for this offense if it continues to play like it is. You know, if it continues to be as explosive and as good as it is, you know, even if they don't have the defense to go to the college football playoff, maybe they don't have the defense in the next two years to win a college football game at that level where they're actual national championship contenders. Statistically, it's still going to be very enticing to a lot of these players because they want to go to the NFL. And if you're putting up crazy points all season long, maybe you don't win the last game of the season. Maybe you don't win the biggest game of the season. That's going to hurt you, I think. But there's going to be certain positions where 
you're just going to be able to continue to stack players. And I think quarterback and wide receiver, those are two positions that right now this offense is just insane. And even running back, you know, the, the two different, uh, you know, hundred yard rushers in the last game, that's very attractive for these players. And, and so when you've got a little connection there, Malachi Nelson played with South Florida express uh, several times over the off season. Um, you know, there's there's a little bit of feeling that, you know, USC could get him back on campus. And perhaps if they're putting up crazy points and crazy statistics, um, they can go into Florida and grab one of these guys. But it's but it's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be difficult, right. even, you know, when you're at the very top. Um, and we've seen USC at the very top with Pete Carroll and that staff. It was difficult to go across the country and grab a bunch of guys from Florida. I mean, they would have loved to get more guys from Florida than they did. So they sort of had to pick their spots and and find guys and you know go after the Dwayne Jarrett's of the world and and guys that were still really good players, but maybe in areas where they weren't going head to head with you know so many other schools and and certainly the the home schools, the hometown schools weren't as strong. And obviously, as you mentioned, I believe you know that South Florida Express connection, Malachi Nelson, will likely be in his ear. We're not, I would be shocked if he didn't take an unofficial visit uh, at some point this spring, get him back out here. I, I would say that's a lock to get him back out here because he did seem generally, genuinely interested in the Trojans. And as his tweet shows, you know, there's something there. There's something there, but something we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, moving forward. Now, Gerard, are you ready to talk about some Friday night lights? I'm ready now. You're ready now. Okay. He I, had to, I had to, I needed time. I needed to think about it, but yes, now, now, now I'm ready. Okay. Well, this is Rock kind of your segment. I, I like Rock it when you fire. kind of lead in. Where do you want to start? I want to start with rapid fire. Chris Trevino, modern day 42, Milani 14. What happened? Well, this was an interesting game because first of all, Mil- Milani looked very, very small and wasn't very big. Those are the I just said the same thing two different yeah, that's ways. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's echo effect. Like you but said one thing and then followed up with the exact same thing, but differently. You said we different. were we were expecting a kind of blowout, kind of running clock by halftime. But credit to the Trojans, Milani, they played their butts off in the first half and gave those Monarchs everything they could handle. Now, some of it was Modern Day was not playing to the modern day level that, you know, that has them up high in the national rankings. But Milani was taking advantage of that and really taking it to them. That talent advantage, that size advantage, that depth advantage really began to take over at the end of that second quarter. And they got really rolling in the second half. But I give my hats off to Milani and kind of the effort they did coming out here to Southern California and giving modern day a fit in the first half. I give them major props, but they had no answer for the likes of Jordan Davidson, who was just a beast in the second half. Multiple touchdown runs. I don't have his final stat, but he had a really, really big, uh, I believe he had two touchdown runs in the second half. One was like close, I believe, 80 yards, something like that, something ridiculous. He was a beast, you know, the 2025 USC recruit. USC and Oklahoma, the two schools on him, the hardest DeMarco Murray out there. With the Sooners, so that's going to be an interesting batter, but battle, excuse me. But you know, USC's offense keeps playing like this. I like USC's chances. Aiden Breland, obviously the big body defensive lineman, looked a little slimmer. Gerard looks more edge rusher than kind of interior guy. Didn't play him a whole lot. He would cycle in and out, take some series off. I'm not sure if they were just resting him 
or they're just so deep there. But he got uh, some big plays in the beginning. I believe he had a, a sack early that first drive. So he was he was effective. He was making some plays. Big guy, impressive. He was at the game on Saturday. Xavier uh, Brown was a guy I filmed the cornerback. USC has been on him along with Oregon, some other schools. But I like the way he actually, funny enough, he actually had two interceptions that he ended up losing. One was a deep ball, picked it off, but the receiver got in there and ripped it away. Ty goes the receiver. Had another one where he kind of picked it off, turned, and then someone popped the ball loose. So it was a, an interception that he fumbled and that Mililani recovered. So kind of a weird thing. He was very – He was. I, I joke with him after. He's like, yeah, just – Got to get those. Got to get those. And then Elijah Brown, the cornerback, uh, quarterback, I filmed him all night. Wasn't super strong early on, but then he came back, you know, made some tight passes, moved out of some pressure, stayed calm at all, at all times, and, you know, made the plays in the end to get the ball to his playmakers. And pretty steady. Wasn't, you know, didn't wasn't putting up ridiculous numbers or anything like that. Just Elijah Brown, just classic Elijah Brown, always steady. Even Cole Lionheart got in the game. It was a blowout by the end, so got a taste of Cole Lionheart at the end. You know, the the son of the Trojan legend, Matt Lionheart, at his uh, alma mater at Modern Day. So a lot of a lot of things going on for me, Gerard. A lot of a lot of faces, a lot of names. Yeah, well, I mean, Modern Day High School. It's um, yeah. stacked on both sides of the ball with with players, and that whole secondary, quite frankly, is being recruited by USC. So you know, Zayvon Brown's a guy that we've watched a, a few times now, and. Uh, hopefully we pulled together enough video uh, to do an ISO film on him yeah. uh, with multiple games. And I Jordan, got some plays. I got some plays, yeah. Jordan Davidson, uh, big time for 2025. It'll be interesting to see you know, how he progresses. Uh, what type of back does he end up becoming? You know, He's kind of at that point right now. He's a combo back, but does he get faster and, and maintain sort of that, that sort of um, that stylistic profile? Or does he get a little bigger and become a little more of a power back? You know, he's kind of he's kind of a tweener right now. So it's going to be interesting to see. He's got two more years ahead of him. You know, what kind of running back is he going to be uh, when we were, you know, 2024? Uh, we're looking at him as a player, which is kind of wild, you know, to think about right now. <laughs> he's not graduating yeah. until 2024. Um, Aiden Breland is a guy that we get asked about a lot. You know, he was one of those. Uh, eighth graders that, uh, you know, ends up uh, being kind of a social media star and uh, a favorite of the peristyle. And, oh, my God, we need to get this guy. Oh, my God. And there's another kid at Santa Margarita. Same thing. It's, you know, you get some 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 shots of kid in the weight room and he's a freshman and he's big. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's, he's the next guy. Um, Breland's been pretty quiet, you know, ever since that, really since his freshman year. And there have been a lot of questions as to, you know, how much he really wants to play college football, you know, how much – um, does he want to really dedicate himself? He's gotten, you know, skinnier and lost some weight. Um, I, you know, is it going to be a good thing for him? Is he going to be a better player because of it? Or is it a detriment to, you know, being able to carry 300 pounds and be quick? You know, that's one of those things that I, I know I sound like a broken record. I say that about West Coast players all the time. It's you know, some of these guys just want to stay in that sort of GQ 250 pound range. And they don't realize that the, the paycheck is at that 285 pound range. Right. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, man, you can be a good looking unemployed defensive tackle or you can be a millionaire and be 300 pounds. So it's like, you know, which one is it? I remember I had a conversation with um, Alan Bradford's dad, uh, Alan Bradford, uh, the former running back slash linebacker at USC, played at Colton High School, was a former five star, uh, came into USC with Sharice Wright from Colton. 
and they had, you know, just a, really the last of the good Colton teams. And, um, you know, with, with Allen that freshman year, he was playing defense and then they switched him over to offense. I, I remember the practice that happened. The rumor was it was going to be Allen Bradford and Taylor Mays that were going to play running back. But it ended up being just Allen, and that was a year where they just had all those running backs. Anyways, it's Stephon Johnson, it's C.J. Gable, Emmanuel Moody. Um, and during that year, I, I believe that's the year where they had three fullbacks, all scholarship fullbacks go down with injuries. They had Brandon Hancock. They had, um, oh, the kid from Mission Viejo, Ryan Padrell. And they had uh, Stanley Havilian. Every one of them ended up season-ending injuries which is just crazy. Like, I mean, you don't usually have that many scholarship fullbacks on the roster, let alone that many good. They're all, they were all good. They could all start. They could all play. People were really excited about Ryan Padrell. They all end up being injured. I think uh, Hancock and Padrell both were injured, like in fall camp. And then you had Stanley Avili starting. So, you know, long story short, they move Allen Bradford to running back. And then it's like, well, we kind of want to push you over to fullback because we don't have any more fullbacks. And he didn't want to play fullback. He just didn't want to block. He's just like, no, I'm too athletic. And I remember telling his dad, I go, you know, <laughs> you got guys like Najee Davenport. You've got a lot of guys that have played the fullback position that were great athletes. And I, I tell you what, you can be an unemployed running back or you can be an employed fullback, uh, making millions of dollars in the NFL. And, and so, you know, if, if it's temporary, just, just, you know, bite the bullet and do it. DJ Williams, five-star, number one player in the country, went to – uh, Miami and out of high school, out of Dale out style high school, he played fullback for those, one of those great Miami teams um, that won, I think a national championship. And then he went over and started playing uh, linebacker after that point, got drafted, played linebacker for the Broncos. But you know, he was like selfless and said, you know what? Hey, I'm going to go play on a championship team as a true freshman and I'll be a, and a fullback. Fine. That's cool. And so uh, one of those things that, um, you know, comes up, uh, you know, during the course of all this and, uh, some players, you know, you, you they have this idea of who they are and, and what position they should be playing and, you know, how that translates to how much athleticism they have or don't have. So um, I have no idea how we got on this subject, but yes, Alan Bradford. You, 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 it went from Aiden Breland. You, you outdid yourself. You didn't even remember. So we'll move on to the next <laughs> game. But very quickly, just want to say Nasir White, Wyatt, beast. In the second half, he oh, was yes. just, there was like three – Back-to-back drives were just – it felt like every play he was in the backfield causing havoc. So He's the best player in that defense. He's the best player in that defense. He's one of the best players maybe overall on that team. He's 2025 linebacker, sophomore. He's just a sophomore. He's like Jordan Davis. He's just a sophomore. And, yeah, he was the best player on the field that I saw uh, when they played Corona Centennial. And we got some ISO film of that. It's a really good ISO film. Go check it out. You get to see his agility, open field speed. Uh, his bend, his balance, um, he is he is quick and sudden. And, uh, again, only a sophomore. Yeah, excited to see what he looks like in two years. You also covered a 2025 prospect at your game, Gerard. Yes, went up to go to see Bonita, five-star linebacker. Uh, uh, like you said, another sophomore out of that 2025 class, Noah McHale. Um, 6'3", 210, 215 pounds. Uh, played all over the field. He he started out the game playing running back and had a really nice cutback run where he probably got, you know, like 20, almost 30 yards um, and then moved to receiver. So it was like the beginning of the game plan was, hey, we're just going to pound. 
with uh, Noah McHale, and then we're going to move him and shift him over to receiver. So he started playing a bunch of receiver. Uh, played okay defensively. You know, he had some 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 plays where I felt like maybe he could have been a little more impactful and kind of waited a little bit, um, didn't read. But, you know, he is a sophomore. He, he's a big body. Um, he obviously has the ball skills and, and sort of that natural ability around the football. And so he does give you some things that, you know, maybe a regular classical linebacker would not. And the big thing in that game was it was very evenly matched. Uh, Bonita is, you know, not a big time high school. Los Osos is not, you know, as good as they've been maybe in the past. So they went real back and forth, back and forth. Bonita ended up going up by two scores. And it looked like, you know, they kind of had the momentum, but they just, they went flat after that. They got up and then they went flat. Los Osos gets a couple turnovers. Boom. Next thing you know, Los Osos, with uh, it was like a minute 48 left, ends up uh, scoring, and they're up by six points. Uh, but they missed the extra point. So I said it then. I was tweeting, and I go, oh, man, that's, that's that like I come back to bite them. I think there was a, you know, just, you know, a, a minute 48, minute something left, and uh, Bonita gets the ball, and uh, they just chuck the ball down the sideline to Noah McHale, and he, he makes a great catch. He makes a comeback. He's an underthrown ball. He's run down the sideline. It's one of those things where he had to come back for the ball and dive to catch it. And it, it was really questionable whether the, the referees actually saw him catch it or not. They were kind of talking about it. And I go, man, they might take this ball away from him. He made the catch. I mean, you could tell he made the catch. He got his hands underneath the ball. But it was one of those things where uh, it was just lucky that the, the, the referees agreed <laughs> at that point. And uh, after that play, it was like I could tell he went to the huddle and said, hey, just give me the ball. They were on like the 10, 15-yard line, and I think he just went in the huddle and said, just throw it up to me, man. Just, just. And they Go probably on. should have been doing that more during the game. Um, but he's a sophomore, and, and I talked about that with him afterwards. Um, but they ended up chucking him the, the back shoulder fade, makes the catch, touchdown winning uh, grab. The crowd was going crazy and everything. Uh, but, you know, he's a sophomore. So it's one of those things where he's, you know, early in his sophomore season, too. You kind of have to get a feel for this kind of stuff. And sometimes you just have to go out there and make those plays. And then you can be that guy that's vocal that says, hey, you know, just give me the ball sort of thing. Because it's tough to call for the ball when you're a sophomore um, <laughs> in the beginning of your sophomore season. But I think at this point he's had a 100-yard game rushing. He, he had, I think, eight catches for like, uh, I can't remember how many, 87 yards, I think. Uh, and that score and, and probably, you know, six or seven tackles, maybe. Um, I think, you know, at this point, I probably everybody in the huddle would listen to him uh, if he says, give me the ball in the future. Give him the ball. Gerard, that 2025 class got some special dudes in it or some some guys that could be some big time players, as we mentioned, Davidson, uh, Noah, and then uh, White, as we just talked about. So 2025 locally. Got some dogs, it seems like. Yeah, USC's already got the commitment from Jet White. That's true. That's true. I totally forgot about that. You're you're right. Uh, Keeping me honest. Keeping me honest. And then you've got Darius Dixon, who we didn't even talk about at Modern Day, who's the other starting corner. Uh, He's a pro-way guy that I know our guy uh, Derek Holmes is very high on. Um, So there's a lot of – there is a lot of talent in that 2025 class. Now, the thing is, it's always – and this is kind of this is how we got to talking about you know the subject of sort of guys and and what they're willing to do and transition and develop over time with Aiden Breland is you know okay that's that's how they are right now sophomores are they going to get better 
Right. Like you don't, you know, there's some guys that just they peak as, as sophomores and you're like, okay, how come did the guy that we saw, you know, in 2022 is the same guy that we're seeing in 2024. So it's, it's a matter of development. It's a matter of these guys getting faster. I think that's the big thing. And I know Greg Biggins, our national recruiting analyst, 24 seven sports pounds the table about this a lot. It's guys running track and getting faster. Too many guys do not get faster. They, they sort of plateau at some point, sophomore, junior year. And then we go see them as seniors. It's like, you're the same dude. Like you got a little bigger, but you're not any faster and you're not any quicker. And, and that affects, you know, I think the ability uh, when you're going into the college level where guys are so much faster. So that's what we're going to have to see. And that's, you know, talking about Jordan Davidson, you know, where, which way does he sort of go? Does he, does he put on the weight and, and keep the speed he has? Or does he continue to be as big as he is, but get faster? Because I think he has to do one or the other to be a really elite back. Um, you know, Aiden Breland, you know, he's he's going to be next year. He's not 2025, 2024. Um, you know, is he 2024? Is he, yeah, 2024. He's 2004, yeah. Um, you know, he's got another year. Is, 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 I mean, I don't know. I probably look at him. He's probably, what, 270 now? Probably 265 maybe? Yeah, I would say 270. I think that's a fair range, yeah. I think, I mean, when I saw him uh, like a year and a half ago or so, he, he was a good 290, almost 300 pounds. And, and and those guys are so hard to find in Southern California. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you lose the weight. It's like, did you get measurably better by doing that? That's that's my oh, my question for all defensive linemen in Southern California is, if you decided to lose 20 pounds, how much faster and quicker did you actually get? What's the measurable difference? Because I think a lot of these kids could actually gain weight and not lose much time. All right. They're not going to get a whole lot slower and they're not going to get, uh, they're not going to lose their explosiveness a whole lot, but they've actually gained 15 pounds of muscle and that in itself will make you more explosive. But again, we get into the whole GQ body, you know, the beach body that, that these West coast kids want to have and I think that that's something that plays into it. You know, also they play multiple sports sometimes. So it's, you know, you don't want to gain a bunch of weight, be a 300 pounder playing baseball, what have you. I'm not sure that that's Aiden Breland's issue. I don't, I don't think he plays multiple sports, but nevertheless, I, you know, the ability to be a 300 pound guy and move well is more unique on the West coast than being a 265 pound guy uh, and being able to move okay you know what i mean like you're you're like okay i went from a, a five flat to a four nine that's not enough <laughs> you know those are diminishing returns we need to see you running like a four seven now dude we need to see you a whole a high five uh, like a four five six something like that you know and all of a sudden it's like okay wow you lost 20 pounds 25 pounds and you are definitely a different player because you're that much faster but it has to be measurable and i think a lot of these guys it's, it's a very little, little differences between, you know, how much faster they get as opposed to what they'd be getting out of just, you know, getting better weight on them. You know, it's, it's like, don't necessarily have to lose weight, just have to have better weight. You just have to be stronger. You have to get more muscle. Getting gains, as they like to say. And our final game from our Friday Night Lights segment is Los Alamitos uh, winning a absolute shootout with Santa Margarita, Santa Margarita. Out of the Trinity League, 69, nice. 249 in that game. Makai Lemon continues to just go bananas in his senior year. 11 catches for 184 yards, including a 96-yard kickoff return. Five-star him, Malachi Nelson, 203 yards. 
uh, became the school's all-time passing leader. And then Colorado State uh, commit 2023 running back three-star uh, Damian Henderson went off for 303 yards and five touchdowns. So pretty good offensive stats for Sal, as we know. Uh, that defense a little bit leaky for them. Clearly, no T.A. Cunningham. Is he allowed? Is he allowed to run for five touchdowns? Aren't those only reserved for Roderick Robinson? I, I thought Roderick Robinson can only run for multiple touchdowns. Well, I think he did eight. I think he said eight, eight, but so he's not touching that elite status. But yes, I believe he is legally. He also played against Sarah Margarita, not, you know, yeah. Camp Pendleton School for the Deaf or whatever. I mean, he, he, you know, I think we might need to start talking about Damian Henderson maybe a little bit. I ha- I need to watch that game. Like if I can get some more game film from that. Um, I did not see it played live, but that's pretty good output. And he's had some good games thus far playing against some decent competition. So you know, Colorado State is either getting a baller or Damian Henderson is very under-recruited by Pac-12 schools. And like you said, you look for the best senior players in the country. And Damian Henderson obviously off to a very uh, good start. Name to keep – just a name to store in the back of uh, your mind for USC fans. Just, just keep it there. You know, if he keeps balling out, you know, bigger schools obviously are going to come come sniffing. And maybe, you know, USC wants them to the dynamic athlete. Uh, for this Lincoln Riley offense. Just just something to think about. Uh, anything you want to touch on that Los Al game before we jump into some top performers? Well, it's a basketball score, first and foremost. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. I didn't think they would put up that many points on Santa Margarita. I thought it would be uh, a closer game in, you know, in the, like, 20s, you know, like a 27. 20s? 24. Oh, yeah, I, did, I didn't think, you know, not not to not to undercut uh, our boy Makai Lemon or, or Malachi Nelson. I mean, obviously those guys are weapons, and, and you know, Lemon is having a, a fantastic year. He's going to have another 1,000-yard uh, reception year. But, um, yeah, I didn't think Rancho Santa Margarita was going to score that many points or, or – or, Give up certainly sixty nine points. That's that's rough. That's rough. That's a that's, Trinity League school. Sorry. That's getting that. of uh, some some major points there. But I, you know, to follow up on Damian Henderson, it's one of those things that, and I think I tweeted this uh, maybe it was last weekend or the weekend before, where kind of talking about USC their approach to recruiting, and you know, right now they got two guys that are transfers in that USC the old staff didn't really touch. Right. They didn't recruit Travis Dye and they really didn't recruit Austin Jones. I think they offered him a scholarship, but he was not a guy that USC really went after hard. And that's just something that you hope if you're a Trojan fan, this coaching staff takes a step back and you get all enamored with this guy from Texas and this guy and how fast he is and blah, blah, blah. You know, good football players are good football players. And uh, I'm not sitting here and, and trying to, um, you know, pound the table for, for Damian Henderson. I haven't seen enough of him to, to make that claim that, you know, he's a USC scholarship level player. I'm just saying in general, it's um, I don't know if it's, you know, paralysis by over analysis or just that the grass is greener on the other side sort of thing where you're going, you're looking at players and you're, you're looking at, you know, you're trying to find these elite athletes and what have you, but there's just so many guys from the West coast and particularly California that are Travis die type dudes that are just good football players that kind of get overlooked. I mean, listen, he went to Oregon, you know, and Oregon was recruiting at a pretty high level. So he wasn't completely overlooked. He was a four-star level guy. But I mean, I remember USC just not being interested, you know, Jade not. 
just came out of Norco, you know, same high school. Um, and USC kind of messed with them a little bit when Dante Williams took over, but the new staff was like, yeah, it's cool. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not, we're not going to go after Jade Knott. And Jade Knott's playing pretty well at Cal. Um, so, you know, there's these guys that, you know, they're maybe not the fastest or they're not the biggest or whatever. They got a little of that Max Williams things happening. Uh, but good football players are good football players and they can contribute to you uh, for you at the college level. Sometimes I think that, you know, the bigger schools that can recruit in the lead level, they get so tuned into how, what's this guy's NFL potential. It's like, listen, who cares? He's not, it's not the NFL. <laughs> what can he do for you? <laughs> what can he do at the college level? What can he do for you? It's like people that say, well, you know, um, he's a Juco guy and he's older and he's this and he's that. It's like, is, how old is he? Is he 35? Is he 38? <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's older. I don't care if he's freaking, you know, 28, that's still like, you know, you're going to get good years out of the dude. Um, he's going to be a good player for you now, you know, for the next, uh, you know, five, six years, you know, if he goes to the NFL, well, then that's a different story, but, um, you're not dealing with contracts and all that kind of stuff. Now you're just dealing with how good is this guy now and how can he contribute to a football program? So with, uh, you know, guys like Damian Henderson, these guys have good senior years, Damian Henderson transferred in to Los Al, by the way, too. Um, you know, Long Beach Wilson. Yeah, it, it, you know, just a little under the radar type of thing. And now he's playing a higher level and he is playing at a high level, at a higher level. So um, it's always interesting to see. And, you know, you keep an eye out and uh, late scholarship offers, you know, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But you do have to always kind of look at your roster, self-evaluate and go, you know, we went on for all these transfers. Where were these guys in high school? Where was Solomon Bird in high school? You know, let's not be too – Two uh two star snooty. dandy, baby. Two star dandy. Yeah, let's not be too snooty about this highbrow about you know, we only go after guys that run, you know, 10, 4, 9, and blah 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 kind of thing. You know, sometimes good football players are good football players, and you gotta take uh you, you gotta take those guys. He has rushed for five hundred and five yards and eight touchdowns in his last two games. Pretty good. Gerard, before we move on to top performance, yes or no. Damian Henderson will sign with Colorado State. No. Okay. You nah. heard it here first. You heard it. <laughs> I like how you thought about it. You were like, I'm really well, take a because, chance to because think the about thing it. that comes up is grades, and I don't know. Okay, I'm not. I'm not factoring that in right now. I'm just not factoring. Yeah. That in right yeah. That, well, that factors in. I guess. <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess you have it to factor not. it in. That's right. the clearinghouse will factor it in, and so that could determine sort of whether you know school wants to swoop in. Listen, if he's really good, I mean, you know. You, there's, there's guys like Zach Evans that schools still take, and it's, there's all kinds of stuff going on with him. So, yeah, I mean, if you're at that level and you keep running for 300 yards a game, yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing the same thing with Roger Robertson. I mean, Roger Robertson out of Lincoln, uh, San Diego, is a kind of a regional guy committed to UCLA, but he just took a visit to Texas A&M because why? He's running for eight touchdowns a game, even if it's against small opponents. When you're, you know, 6'1", 235 pounds, people are going to notice. And, by the way, Damian Henderson's not like a, a little 5'9", 180-pound nice. running back. He's, he's, he's like a good 6'2", 200-pound guy. He's, he's listed as 6'2", 190. And, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's a taller running back and can play multiple positions, rated as an athlete. So, guy's got some size, got some speed. But, you know, I'm also, on that, I'm also on that Ethan O'Connor train, too. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just yeah. a big Losal homer. Shout yeah, out you need to, to Bible. And how many Losal games have you done? 
<laughs> well, how close do I live? To okay, those, that, that's uh, fair. That's fair. But we got to get you out of there. We got to get at you least, out of there. At least we got you to a Long Beach Poly game this year. I mean, gosh, that, you know, you went like two years without actually going to a Poly game. Now I'm going to be posted up there quite frequently. Uh, Gerard, let's jump into some top performers real quick. Can you just kind of run through these these some of these guys and kind of read some stat lines for us? Some stat lines, yeah. I mean, uh, some of uh, the targets that USC is looking at, some of the guys that got committed had some pretty good games this past uh, weekend. You had a Marion Peterson who continues to have a very good senior season, 13 carries for 162 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, the next week, I mean, that he's had, let's see, that's two weeks in a row that he's had three touchdowns and over 150 yards uh, rushing. So still doing really good. Um, still have no idea terms of the, uh, the the competition level he's playing against it's sort of a smaller school and stuff so it's it's not super super small but it's definitely a little out of the way so I'm kind of waiting to see you know when they get I think into the playoffs so I have a, just a better reference of like who he's actually playing against um, Tackett Curtis the Manny four-star linebacker uh, one of the top players in USC's class had eight tackles one tackles for losses he had three carries Chris for 76 yards and a touchdown so dog Pretty nice average there, and uh, we know that uh, Tackett is going to be—he's uh, going to be hunting, hunting this weekend. Oh, uh, we're going to talk about it coming oh, we're up. Talk about it. Yep, yep. Um, Zach Branch had a 69-yard punt return for a touchdown um, this past weekend, this past Friday. Uh, I think they played a Georgia team. Um, Did they not look at his film? Like, why would you kick it to him? Yeah, why would really, you? Kick I, I don't him. really understand. Uh, they probably this. had heat stroke at that point in the game. Was John Baxter coaching that high school team? Oh, I'm sorry. How many players did they have in the field and how many were wearing number seven? Uh, Deuce Robinson, five receptions for 139 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Deuce playing some Wildcat quarterback, had some rushes as well. I mean, he's a dude. Uh, Pinnacle uses him all over the field. And uh, the Roderick Robinson, as we spoke uh, about earlier from uh, San Diego Lincoln High School, the Bruin commit that is the fave. He is BFF for the Peristyle. He has now run for 1,096 yards and 16 touchdowns on the season, Chris. And that's in like uh, four or five games. That is bananas, Gerard. That is that all is bananas. bananas. But we know that he did not play that well against Alameda. <laughs> Gerard loves He got the film. He just kind of wasn't that great against Alameda. Alameda loves Bramasap. You know, they're, rep, they're, they're respectable. You know, Casey Clawson has the Bishop Alamany, and I can't, are they the Crusaders? Warriors. The Warriors. Warriors. As the Warriors playing respectable football, they're no slouches. They're just not their greatest year. You know, they, they don't have the talent this year, but uh, they definitely put the lockdown on Lincoln, and that was a little surprising. So, you know, you always keep that in mind. Again, that's why I bring it competition level. That's when I talk about Miriam Peterson having uh, a big game and everything. I don't know Hershey, Texas high school, that that district or what have you. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting until there's some schools that pop up on the radar that I have a little more idea of. And uh, I think Amir Peterson, though, is, he looks good. He, he's okay. really a good-looking running back when you watch some of his film. Um, and then, uh, you know, you've got uh, his partner in rushing, uh, Mr. Uh, Quentin Joyner, who was actually in Southern California this past weekend. Amir Peterson will probably – Huh? Okay, that makes that's sense. Why, that's why he was uh, uh, at the Coliseum. Marion Peterson, hard to bring down, also hard to get a hold of. We'll probably never talk to this kid <laughs> ever. 
<laughs> Some kids much. are just like that. Some kids are just like that. And that's okay. I mean, not okay for us, but just in general, that's that's okay. That's just their that's just their Some vibe. Guys that's are like Peter McBride. Is that a, is that a line? You don't remember you don't remember that reference? We talked about this on the podcast. Peter McBride was the, the long snapper that I, that was like when when it re, when I had the realization calling kids even after they get an offer a commitment you think they'd be excited to talk ah, about yes, it. Ah yes 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 yes. Especially as a long snapper and dude just literally you, you never never could never get a hold of him. Never picked up. Never Couldn't be bothered. Yeah, he said I'm I'm a long snapper, you know. Did you read the Jacoby Lane? Uh, Jacoby Lane. No, I didn't. He had six receptions for 36 yards and two touchdowns. So, uh, not uh, a lot of yak yards for him. Um, yeah, this past yeah, weekend, yeah. but uh, two, two touchdowns. So he was targeted a little more than he was in the game that you filmed, Chris. At least he scored. At least he got in there. I think he posted one, just a filthy end zone back fade catch. So just a, a, a animal in the red zone with those, those fade balls. So Nice, decent stat line, decent stat line, especially for an offense that wasn't really impressed with their quarterback. So at least at least he's getting some touchdowns. At least that's happening. And with that, let's talk about some new scholarship offers, Gerard, and then we'll take our break. Well-deserved break. So there has been a flood of offers. It seems like every day there's a new one. I feel like we're missing a couple here, but some of the the, the ones that are stood out uh, – Junior offensive guard, Devin Brooks. Junior linebacker, Justin Williams. Junior edge rusher, Brian Robinson. We already talked about Baltimore sa- junior safety, Edris Farouk, uh, at the top of the at top of the show. A couple 2023 offers, uh, Colony defensive tackle, uh, Dejan Lafitte. Uh, mentioned him at the top of the show. And then one of the big ones is, I'm going to butcher this, Smyra. Smyra, yeah, Smyra, Tennessee athlete, Arion Carter, who is being offered as a linebacker for the Trojans, who has just been, I would say, maybe the hottest offer in the 2023 class at the moment. I believe he was unranked when he started getting up all these offers. A Memphis commit, six foot one, 210 pounds. He's suddenly a four-star prospect in the 24 sport, 24/7 Sports Composite, a three-star in the 24/7 Sports Rankings. But has picked up Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Michigan, Oregon, Tennessee, SC, in just the span of like uh, 72 hours or something like that. Something ridiculous. They just keep rolling in for him. So USC jumped on it, offered him as a linebacker, which is kind of interesting. But that's like the biggest one out there. One of the fast rising senior prospects. And Gerard, as we mentioned, we, we talk about offering the the best senior or taking the best senior prospects in the country. And I'm sure the Memphis coach who signed him is just, just having a terrible week, Gerard, just having a terrible week. Yeah. He's freaking out. Cause you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to keep him locked in. You know, you feel like you, uh, you got a guy under the radar and it's funny because, you know, I remember having a conversation there's two different coaches I had conversations with, uh, one was at Fresno State, one was at Washington State. And, uh, you know, Ryan Abraham, our publisher, used to also publish a Fresno State site uh, for. Parkboard. Yeah, yeah, for, for rivals and then a little bit for Scout. And, you know, we had some conversations with the coaching staff and they just didn't recruit. You know, they just didn't recruit early on. 
And a lot of the purpose for that in terms of like pushing hard for commitments early in the class was that they knew that if they had guys that they liked and they put them out there um, as commitments, that schools like USC and Washington and Oregon would eventually swoop in and just look at, you know, who they had and start evaluating because, you know, they were, they felt like, you know, okay, Fresno state, they get, they get some guys, you know, um, and Washington state had that same sort of uh, criticism. Like, you know, that as soon as we get a commitment from a guy, um, you know, that USC is going to start watching this film. So <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, <laughs> Memphis right now is like, why don't we take that same philosophy, man? We should have kept this guy uncommitted for as long as possible. And, right. uh, and then got him at the last minute. I mean, he is a four star um, composite guy. So well, he's not now, totally well, now, well, no, now, he was, I mean, well, this is all recent. I'm pretty sure he was, he was unranked when those offers started coming. When Alabama offered him, he was unranked. Listen, he was, he was he an was, 87 and then he went to being an 89 and that was the change over the last ranking. So I don't know what he was before that. I don't, I don't know what he was when he was actually committed to Memphis, which he committed to Memphis in June or July. I think it was over the summer. It was um, July. He, he was uncommitted. All right. Sorry. Excuse me. He was unranked when he committed because I did the story on USC offering him. He was unranked. Okay. Okay. So okay. yeah, he, he was an unranked guy for Memphis. And now look at him. Well, yeah. Now look at I mean, yeah, he's a composite. So somebody's actually he's he's gone from unranked to almost a four star because yeah. twenty four seven sports has him only as a three star. Yeah. He's he's actually a four star from a composite. So one of the other publications, uh, ESPN or somebody, has actually just gone ahead and well, uh, you know, we're just going to make him a four star. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's definitely jumped up. He's he's you know rated as an athlete. Um, I'm not really sure how everybody sees him. Um, it sounds like you know probably linebacker. 6'1", 210, but, I mean, I haven't watched any of his film yet. It's fun uh, film. Feel, You're going to like it. It's fun film. Uh, I, and and so what do you? what's your projection? You've watched his film. What's your evaluation? What's your projection of him? Yeah, it, it, like I said, very like an athlete. They put him all over. You know, they move from outside linebacker to inside linebacker, have him rush off the edge. He's very violent, very good in coverage, uh, great with the ball in his hand. He plays a little running back as well. Just an overall guy that it's it's kind of like that the Noah comparison you were talking about. Just they play him all over. I kind of see him as an inside linebacker. Maybe I know that they want Tackett Curtis as that Mike back. Braylon, as we've talked about, you know, probably that that B backer. Excuse me, not B backer. What's it called? A uh, rush end uh, position, but a guy who could also play will. I'm looking at uh, Arian Carter here as potentially a will kind of linebacker to play inside with Tackett Curtis. You have, you know, two two really hard hitters. This guy's violent and uh, a guy who's really athletic. Uh, both of those guys, uh, frankly, as we, we've talked about, you know, the punt returns, the playing quarterback, rushing quarterback, that would just be two incredible linebacker athletes in the middle that defense and you know have Braylon six foot five you know coming off the edge you know I think that's kind of where I would put him uh and looking at his film just kind of that will more outside linebacker kind of position I'm watching his film right now we're actually doing a live reaction okay I agree with you 100 he's a will linebacker for sure he plays inside in high school uh he cleans up a lot of plays he's very violent at the point of attack you know he gets down the ball carrier quick 
He can play off the edge a little bit, but yeah, six one two ten is not big enough to really put right, right. the line of scrimmage. Um, he does some stuff here at running back, which is nice, but probably a linebacker from the looks of it uh, at the next level. And it's interesting to see USC make this move, though, because you know they had Isaiah Chisholm there for an unofficial visit, and then they had him there for the seven on seven tournament, and they just kind of seemed to slow play him a little bit. He did have mm-hmm. a scholarship offer, and he's a good looking player. But it seemed like, I mean, initially it seemed like, okay, they got Tackett Curtis. They're kind of done with inside linebackers. But this would be another kid that you would think would be an inside linebacker for USC. And that system, he's playing the the part of Raylan Goldforth or uh, Eric Gentry, although Eric Gentry is technically, I think, labeled as a Mike linebacker. I think, you know, Shane Lee is, is more of a line, Mike linebacker if we're talking about, you know, associating with a particular category of player position, but this guy, yeah, definitely he's fast. He's uh, moving around real quick. He looks like he's pretty good in space. He's reading well. Um, he definitely tracks the ball really well. Um, yeah, I'm telling you, this Memphis coach has got the projection on of this of this film, and he's he's crying right now. I'm telling yeah, you, yeah, he, he he's like, <laughs> we should have never taken that commitment. We just <laughs> we should have just kept it low key and just let him go through the process come in on his official visit later in the year and just he wouldn't have been out there for everybody to to see. And, uh, you know, now he's uh, popped off. I don't know. It probably was some game during his senior year. You know, he's played against somebody there, Tennessee. There's probably somebody at the schedule uh, that, um, again, the, the college coaches reference and go, oh, oh, OK, you played like that against them. Oh, so that's usually how it goes. Uh, and um, a bunch of schools came in and they swooped in after him, but it's interesting from a from a number standpoint with USC seeing that they kind of backed off on a lot of other linebackers mm-hmm. and, and haven't yeah. really been recruiting that position very hard. Right, it, it definitely you know is a, a, an offer that you look at and go, okay, that's interesting. It definitely twenty twenty three, Brian Odom tagged in this. Definitely going after linebackers, and yeah, I mean that would be. I'm sure there's a bunch of USC fans on the board who watch this film and just like are just like drooling at the thought of him and Tackett Curtis in the middle together. But obviously they're going to have some stiff competition. As I mentioned that murderers row of offers, Alabama, Michigan, Tennessee, everyone is now flooding to this guy. And it's going to be really hard to, you know, stand out of these, of these power fives, you know, get him on campus for a visit. He is a really uh, good student and he has aspirations of being a doctor uh, down the line. So, you know, USC's academics certainly can help in this one, but this is one we're going to have to monitor and, you know, try to get them on the phone and kind of break down that offer, but a very interesting offer out. And I don't think we broke down uh, Lafitte earlier, but you plan to see him this week. Yeah, we're going to go check out Dejan Lafitte, who uh, is a big body, you know, 6'3", 285. And, you know, those are guys that you're not really surprised at how many offers go out to defensive linemen because you just got to cultivate some good players there and get some bodies there. And so he's had obviously a big, uh, you know, senior season here, 14 tackles, seven for losses, two sacks, playing at a, a decent level of competition there at Colony High School. Um, I think they're playing Jerupa Hills this uh, week, which is a, is a good high school. They've actually got some good skill players at Drupa Hills. Uh, so we'll see, you know, how he's able to play. And he's actually even played a little bit of tight end for them, uh, for Colony. And so you see a couple a couple plays on his highlights where he's got some passes and he's running, 
you know, and, and he's, he's listed 285. He looks a little bigger than that. So we'll see. I mean, I mean, eyeball him in person and, and kind of see, uh, you know, arm length and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's obviously a lot of things that you look at with the defensive tackle. You're looking at more than just a big body. But certainly on film, he comes off as being very quick. Um, he makes a lot of plays in the, in the offensive backfield. And uh, he just seems to be very active. So, I mean, local big bodies are just, you know, you, you, you love to see it. Uh, you don't want to have to go to Baltimore to be able to get defensive tackle. Oh, so, come on, man. Oh, come on, man. Well, I mean, you don't want to have to. <laughs> it's not that you don't want to. It's just you don't want to have to okay, okay. go across the country and get those guys. And, and again, quickness. You know, I, I think the, the, the thing that you see with this is quickness. Uh, that's the big thing. It's not – we're going after the, you know, the, the sort of prototypical 6'5", 285-pound defensive tackle. They definitely want to get some guys that are quick. And so um, Dijon Lafitte has got some size to go along with that quickness, but still I, I think quickness is what jumps out on, on, on film of him. Quick, quick, quick. Any other of the offers you want to hit on? No, I thought it was interesting that you uh, looked to actually pronounce Samara – Tennessee and you skipped all the other ones. The one that you couldn't pronounce is the one that you actually said. It was I actually, actually wanted funny. you to say the first one just because it's such a fun one. <laughs> what is it? Clackamas? <laughs> Clackamas? Clackamas. Clackamas, Oregon junior guard, uh, Devin Brooks, and then Conroe, Texas, which is, you know, in Youngstown, Ohio, uh, for, for Brian Robinson. You know, the 2024 class, again, I think that's where USC feels like they're going to get they could they could get some cheeky commitments here from some guys yeah, that people absolutely. are like what where do they, they you know like they, there's possibility where they kind of use the momentum now to get that I don't think it's going to be so much in the 2023 class as I said as it gets to be a little more serious for kids they're a little more conservative with popping off on these commits but 2024 class kids are like hey man I got you know I got another year ahead and I'm having fun I love USC and I love the mail they've given me and blah blah blah. And, Boom, they pop. And then, you know, obviously there's that debate as to, I mean, you're talking about this with uh, Arian Carter and, and, and having a guy out there early that's dangling out there as a commit. And then everybody, you know, is trying to, to, to wedge him out of your commit list. Um, I remember something that Chris Wilson, the old defensive line coach at USC, once said um, about getting an early commit for a top out-of-state player. He goes, you know, you're, you're the first one up the flagpole with the dress on when you got an early commit on a guy that you really like. And uh, I thought that was an interesting way of, 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 of stating that. Right, right, right. So USC putting out a bunch of offers. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch more offers in the, in the, in the fold coming through. And I feel like we're even missing some offers, but these are the main ones. Most of those 2024, but we'll be on the lookout for more 2023 offers. Try to keep you updated on Arian Carter and his process moving forward. Gerard, this might be a historic first half of the show, but I think it's time we take a break and come back. Why is about it historic? Just Why? because the, the length of the first half. I feel like this is the longest we've gone off the jump, off the rip, is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, do you have the numbers to back that up? I don't. I, I pull okay. all the numbers out. Just of the ass. feeling. Just, all right. All right. Yeah, just so the feeling. Not that historic. Not that historic. We'll, we'll come back, talk about USC Fresno State, unofficial visitors, the recruiting angle, a little bit of recap of, you know, what's going on outside of USC's little bubble of college football, what happened across the nation, get a little into the high, high school football schedule as always. And then we have a bunch of 
questions to tackle. Probably won't get through all of them. Just referring to the guy who sent me four highly detailed questions. Probably not going to get through all those, but we're going to try to get through most of those. But Gerard, first and foremost, let's just take a break. and We'll come back right back. Let's do it. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast gerard you got an actual break this time how did that feel it felt good i needed water and water and i decided to get a little bit of hot tea my throat has been a little sore this week so able to uh regenerate a little bit of um, moisture in my mouth, which is always a good thing when you're talking for two hours straight. I'm going to be honest with you. It sounded like you were about to do a pitch for something. (laughs) (laughs) For Trader Joe's? Which is always a good thing when you have Larry's mouth. I don't know. I had nothing prepared. I'm sorry. It's late. I had nothing to go on. Larry's mouth rejuvenator. No, this is this is gonna go down a weird hole. Yeah, uh, this. Yeah. Gerard, Gerard, everyone was making fun of me that I didn't know Sean Cody was Mexican, and rightfully so. But no, no, you said off air you didn't know. Don't don't do this. Have my back. Have a salon. You went to Los Altos High School, so I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know. I he's, I, the, I, he's I didn't, denying. You know, he denies Chris, it. He said it off I don't, air. I don't see 
color or race. I just see talent. There you, we, <laughs> there you go. Fine, fine. Fair enough. But I was just saying, you know, he's Mexican. We're Mexican. Cilantro boys. We should have him on, you know, make it a seven well, we star should, we podcast. We have him on because he's a great Trojan. He's the landmark recruit of the Pete Carroll era. That's the reason to have him on. Not because. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. For me, it's the, it's the Mexican thing. thing. We don't go checking boxes. It's the for, Mexican for, thing. For, for ethnicity, for this podcast, Chris, it's, it's, we it's go Mexican. after the guys. That yeah. are the most qualified. Ole. Yeah, that's it for me. That's it for me. But let's move off Sean Cody and his uh, cilantro boyness and get into Fresno State. I noticed you did not put the, the final score for Fresno in this one. But USC uh, had a pretty good game against Fresno State, 45-17 to 17 over the Bulldogs. Number seven, USC, proved a 3-0. and You all know this. You've listened to multiple podcasts. On the Parastop podcast, uh, Tunnel Vision, Instant Analysis, all those things you've watched, so you know this, but we're here to talk about the recruiting angle. So, Gerard, do you want to actually jump into the recruiting angle first, or do you want to talk about some official visitors that made their way onto campus? I'm going to let you sort of lead this one. Well, yeah, no, the official visitors, it's a great turnout, uh, mm-hmm. locally, mostly. Uh, we did talk about earlier in the show where Quentin Joyner was able to make it out again for an unofficial visit. I think he had a bye this past weekend. So he and his younger brothers, a 2025 quarterback for Maynard Texas High School, were able to make it out. Uh, you also had Josh Clark, uh, 2024 athlete, a four-star from, I think he's from Michigan, is he not, Chris? Virginia, Virginia. Oh, Virginia, Virginia. DMV, baby. And so... Um, the 2024 class, again, you know, you bring in some guys in. Gabe Sawchuk, uh, the brother of Gavin Sawchuk, who was the five-star running back uh, a year ago uh, that ended up uh, picking Oklahoma over USC. His brother, 2024 running back, uh, was out here unofficially visiting for USC. One of the biggest unofficial visitors they got uh, for that game, kind of under the radar, but certainly not under the radar in terms of position of need, and that's offensive tackle. Douglas Utu from Bishop Gorman High School, 2024 offensive tackle, one of the top offensive tackles in the 2024 class. And they absolutely need to land either him or somebody else that's an offensive tackle in the 2024 class. Because as we said before and talked a little bit about offensive line recruiting, 2024 is absolutely stacked with good interior offensive linemen, right? DeAndre Carter. I think Brandon Baker might end up being – at least down the line, an interior offensive lineman. I think he can play right tackle at the college level, but there's just a ton of really good interior players, like road grader type players, players that could completely change the way that Lincoln Riley wants to run the ball in the future at USC. I mean, really could have a good downhill SEC Big Ten style running game with some of these guys in the interior, but you still got to find one of those guys who's the legit left tackle. And so maybe Utu is that guy, but great to see him just at USC, um, you know, has his teammate, Zachariah Branch, who made uh, an unofficial visit. He was there with uh, Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon. Um, there was a few uh, commits there. Uh, Grant Bucky actually made his first game that he's seen. He's, he's seen USC play, but he saw at Stanford 
uh, where his brother plays. So this was the first time this season coming down to the Coliseum and actually getting to see USC play at the Coliseum. So all these guys, you know, just DMing, kind of the same thing. You know, it was a great game. You know, offense was great. Uh, you know, loved the excitement. Um, the atmosphere was great. And, I, I mean, I think the atmosphere was definitely turned up a whole notch for this yeah. game. I mean, we saw the light, the lights, the pyrotechnics. I haven't seen any of that uh, at USC uh, before. So that's, you know, taking it up to that sort of Georgia level where, you know, you're trying to um, give the people a little more excitement, a little more intensity from the environment, just artificially to kind of try to pump things up. And I think it uh, I think it was pretty good. And it was uh, a, certainly a big step in the right direction. Mike Bone actually uh, tweeted out uh, earlier uh, Wednesday, just talking a little bit about you know, the, the, the atmosphere and thanking the fans for for making it so great. But. You know what, man? Again, it's just a step in the right direction. I've seen USC uh, at their top, and I've seen those home stands, and, and they've been packed, and that atmosphere has been even better and even more rowdy. So, you know, if you build it, they will come, and that's exactly uh, what's happening for USC. Definitely. Definitely a very good atmosphere. I thought, you know, I think it was 67,000 announced, but, you know, that lights out uh, entrance, you know, they shut the lights off. Uh, had the video playing, the flames, all very cool, very exciting. And I'm sure the, the, the recruits in the stands really got a kick out of it. And, you know, as you mentioned, you've seen the Coliseum to the gills. You've seen it packed beyond belief. And obviously they're not there yet, but you could feel it building. You feel the, the excitement going. I don't know when that's going to hit that point, but it just seems like every week they're getting more and more. I know it's only been two weeks, but... Definitely saw it increase from that that rice week, obviously blazing hot, but definitely bigger turnout for a night game. Going to have that opportunity again in two weeks. We have Arizona State, a dumpster fire coming to coming to town. Washington State, which is shaping up to be to be a bigger game. You know the way they're playing. We'll hit on them a little in a little bit, but the crowd definitely slowly coming around, and those those state those those. Crowds are, are getting a little bit bigger in the Coliseum every week. At least that's the trend it looks like it's going to go, go towards. And I just wanted to say about uh, Utu, uh, composite five-star offensive tackle, number 17 overall, number two offensive tackle in the nation, number 47 overall in the 24-7 sports ranking. So big dog, big five-star on campus. Uh, Any that uh, guys that you saw or even talked to after the game? Obviously, we can't talk to recruits right after the game on campus. It's not something that USC allows. Other schools do, but we can't. Um, anybody you DM or, or talk to that, you know, say anything that was unique or, or different other than, hey, great atmosphere and it's awesome and, you know, the team looked good? Not really. Kind of the same stuff you said. I talked to Jordan Jordan Anderson a little bit, the Warren four-star wide receiver. You know, he's been to both games so far. He's We're joking about, you know, he's probably a guy who's going to come to every game this year. Uh, but he said it was a great environment. He really liked it. And he's, uh, you know, excited for what this USC offense can do. But nothing like super, you know, unique or pretty much all the same kind of boilerplate stuff. Good time, fun environment, good crowd, you know, things like that. The the, the basics. One guy that popped up on the sidelines that uh, interesting recruit uh, to watch is Ryan McCullough. Mm -hmm. the linebacker fullback from Rio Hondo. You you said that uh, they, were, they were paying uh, some key attention to him. Uh, pre-game 
Yeah, I was standing in front of the taking pictures, looking at Dejon Benton, who was, you know, suited up for the first time since the Rice game, had that giant club in his arm. So I was right around there and that was right in front of the recruit section. So they made sure to bring all the like defensive line guys over to the section. Aiden Breland was there. Uh, some of the, the I noticed some of the parents for from a bishop or a Bishop Gorman coach. It wasn't Utu. He wasn't over there, but. There was a Bishop Gorman coach, and there was a another uh, big, big-bodied lineman. I'm I'm still trying to figure out who he was because his name tag was 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 blocked off. But I saw Ryan McCullough, him and his dad, his mom and his dad. I believe that's who who was with. Were watching. He was watching that, and they had like a uh, one of the staffers kind of on his hip, you know, talking to him about what they were seeing. Kind of. So it definitely looked like Ryan McCullough was getting a little bit more extra specialty treatment uh, at this part of the uh, the visit. Yeah, he's had a really good year this year, 6'2", 235, playing at Rio Hondo Prep, so pretty low competition. A guy that's that big is going to run through people and probably unblockable. But nevertheless, kind of intriguing just from the standpoint of, you know, could be a linebacker, but also we talk about that fullback position at USC and how Lincoln Riley used that position at Oklahoma and they don't really kind of have that guy right now on the roster. They're using uh, sort of the H back position out of, excuse me, the tight end position. So Lick McCree is kind of that guy. Uh, we expect uh, Cade Eldridge will be that guy in the future. Cade Eldridge is unique though, because even though he's 6'4", 235, he's running back in high school at, at Linfield uh, Christian high school. So yeah, uh, always kind of keeping your eye out for that. That was something that was interesting during the Pete Carroll era. Uh, just, you know, who were the guys that were going to play fullback? Were the fullbacks going to be actual fullbacks coming out of high school? Or were they going to be running backs that they converted into fullbacks? Or were they going to be linebackers that potentially converted into fullbacks? Uh, we saw all of that um, at that level uh, when, you know, they were running that particular offense. It was more of a pro-style offense. But now you're running an offense which um, you're, you're using a lot of motion with that H-back. Uh, but it does become a bit of a downhill running offense. Is something we did not see with Clay Helton, uh, unfortunately. There uh, towards uh, the last, you know, few years with Graham Harrell, uh, it seemed like you know the running game was just sideways all the time, just going horizontally. And uh, this run game is a little more north and south. And I think that uh, you're seeing uh, dividends pay off in, in that regard. You already get jumping on the two hundred yard, the two one hundred yard rushers, Gerard. You love you love talking about some running backs. Well, I, I love talking about running the football because that's yeah. big boy football. At the end of the day, you're gonna have to run the ball at that high level. The college football playoffs, you, you've got to have a good run offense. And right now, USC's got two running backs that are that are good, solid running backs. I think Troy, uh, excuse me, t- um, Troy Troy Die his brother Troy Travis Travis Die. Uh, is, um, you know, has a unique ability. His his blocking is amazing. He's a very good receiver. Um, you know, he's tenacious. He's, he's not the fastest and he's not the biggest, but he is unique enough in his run style that I think that you could call him an elite running back at this level, at the college level. Um, I think Austin Jones, not as much. He's gotten bigger, and I think that has been a benefit to him. He's got a little more behind him when he's trying to get those extra yards and lean. So USC's got a pretty physical run game. Even though neither of those running backs is, you know, like that 220 range, they've got a pretty good physical run game. And it was funny watching that game because Fresno State legitimately had no interest 
and trying to stop the run against USC. They were basically playing the USC is going to try to pass the ball eventually, and there's no way they're going to run the ball three times in a row, so we're not going to put more than six guys in the box, the very most. So, I mean, USC gets 200-yard rushers, but they could probably add both those guys run for easily 150 yards each. Um, That's going to be interesting to watch as we go further into the season. Is there sort of a quota that Lincoln Riley has for trying to get the ball to Jordan Addison or, or to Mario Williams. We talked about recruiting by statistics and there's definitely like this, this feeling like we got to get Jordan Addison, the ball, we got to get Mario Williams, the ball, we got to get them touches. And, and I understand, I mean, they're great players. You want to get them touches, but sometimes you're force feeding and you're not taking what is there. And we've seen that in the past with USC. I mean, we saw that a lot with Lane Kiffin where he had, Robert Woods on one side of the field. Then he had Marquise Lee on the other side of the field. And, you know, Marquise Lee had a really nice year in 2011, but Robert Woods was kind of still the guy. But because of Marquise Lee's ability, that the ceiling for him athletically was higher, I think Lane Kiffin felt like this is a guy that I might be able to get a Heisman Trophy off of. This is a guy that's going to be uh, more explosive and it's going to be easier to get him those type of rewards and if we can get those awards, we can recruit off those awards. We can recruit off those statistics. That's really where Lane is very strong. He knows statistically where he's at with everything and all of his players that he's coaching, and he uses that really, really hard on the recruiting trail. He's and got that NCAA college football mentality. It's it's. I mean, it's listen. It's it's living in the numbers don't lie sort of reality, which you know you know numbers can be skewed, but. At the end of the day, it's like, hey, you know, I, I, this coach can say, hey, we have got great pass offense. Well, I'm going to show you the awards that my guys have. I'm going to show you statistically what my guys do, you know, and at the end of the day, they're going to get drafted because of that. And so um, it, it, there is a little bit of feeling like, you know, they got to get Jordan Addison the ball so many times. They got to get Mari Williams the ball so many times. They want to throw the ball so many times. Whereas Fresno State went out there and they were playing almost the tendency of that rather than what USC was actually doing. Didn't matter whether they're on the 10 yard line or at the 50 yard line, they were putting five guys in the box, six guys in the box. It was just, it was like, you know, there's just like Fresno State's defense believes in Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and encounters with the third kind more than they believe that USC is going to run the ball three times in a row. That was the tweet because it just, they just refused to really try to crowd the box and try to stop USC's run game. So, USC's got the run game. You know, they, they ended up using it enough to where those guys get 100 yards. Offensive line looks really good. Offensive line pass protection. I mean, that right there, it's going to get guys drafted, man. It's going right. to get Bobby Haskins in the NFL because, you know, I know that Caleb Williams has given up some sacks, but those sacks have kind of been more on Caleb Williams in his offensive line. Maybe outside right. of the, the – uh, 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 blinking on his name. Um, why am I blinking on his name from uh, Mason Murphy? Mason Murphy. Yes. Sorry. Uh, just, I don't know why. I got Mason you. Murphy got you. came in and, you know, and, and obviously uh, didn't, didn't, didn't play well. A couple snaps there. Uh, and, and maybe you could argue, okay, that was, that was bad pass protection. But for the most part, even go back to the Stanford game, you know, Caleb's just holding on the ball, holding on the ball, trying to get the ball downfield, trying to make that big play downfield and you know having some trust in his receivers to be able to separate you know be able to get off their routes and make a move um hasn't happened yet hasn't hasn't been a whole lot of that where he's had a lot of time to throw and find somebody breaking open deep because 
the defenses for the most part are playing back in these zones and they just know USC wants to throw the ball. And I think Caleb is also at this point in the season, if I had to guess, I think he's saving himself a little bit. There's been some opportunities to run the ball in those situations and he hasn't. Whereas earlier in the game, he's been a little more aggressive, uh, you know, like that touchdown run where he had that in the first quarter where he just tucked it and he could have tossed the ball over to Lake McCree and, and he might've scored as well, but he decided to keep it and, and get the touchdown himself. So there's instances where you see him put his foot in the ground and, and get aggressive. And then there's instances where it seems like he's just hesitant. He wants to hold the ball and throw it downfield. So that'll be interesting to see as the season progresses, if his attitude sort of changes a little more, you know, there's, there's a different competitive level because most of the time when he's got all that time to throw, he's literally at like 12 seconds. He's, he's had some time. Back. He's definitely had some time. It's it's usually where the game is already kind of decided and, and everything's under control. So, you know, again, I can see where it's like, I, do I really want to run right now? Like, you know, that maybe, maybe not, even though I could probably run for 10 yards at this point, I'm just going to try to chuck it downfield or, I just, you know, he hangs on to it and he gets sacked, which is not necessarily great for your health either. You don't know how that's going to go. But um, I think just the fact that the offensive line is giving so much time is, is a huge for quarterback recruiting, right? Because we saw USC kind of lost Bryce Young because of that, right? And, and the, Helton potentially getting fired after he uses that loses that game to BYU. It opens the door to all the talk that he's going to get fired. His family's like, oh, we really like Helton. And then Alabama comes around and says, listen, forget about it. Who cares about Clay Helton? Look at the fact that they are starting three different quarterbacks every season because they can't keep their guys healthy. They can't keep their guys on two feet. So that's a big, big selling point to quarterbacks. Like, we're going to keep you – clean in that pocket right you're gonna have all day to throw malachi nelson's looking at that going geez man i play uh, you know behind the offensive line like that i can pick apart a, a, a defense so that's not only big directly for recruiting offensive linemen but it's big indirectly for recruiting quarterbacks again it's like with the running back shining and the downhill running game that directly impacts how you recruit running backs they go oh man i can get 100 yards i'm a part of a two-back set so I'm not necessarily being, uh, you know, driven into the ground and the college level, because that's something else these kids are thinking about. You know, you see guys often out of bowl games and everything. Running backs kind of kind of save their legs for the pros. So back in the day, you know, you kind of wanted to recruit a guy and he'd be your guy. We're going to get you 25 touches every game. Now these guys are like, eh, I'd rather have less touches, but I still want the yards. I still want the touchdowns. So when you can sell a two-back set, and you can sell, hey, you're going to play next to somebody who's going to give you that break, but you're still going to get your yards. That's huge. That's huge for the running back position. But it's also huge for linemen to see that they don't have to stay on their heels for 50 snaps a game and absorb a bunch of punishment every game. I mean, you're basically you're playing in Graham Harrell's offense. You're just going to absorb a bunch of punishment for the whole game. You're not going to really be able to dish anything out and offensive linemen like to run block. They want to get pancakes. They want to get to that second level. They want to run around on pulls and trap blocks and look all athletic. You don't get that stuff with the, with the pass happy offense. So that indirectly really helps your offensive line recruiting. Well, there you go. A great breakdown, but there are some negatives, Gerard, you, you kind of like, I feel like some of those were kind of half, uh, you were talking about both sides of it, but the run defense, once again, as we mentioned in previous uh, recruiting angles and breakdowns, has been 
still an issue for this defense, you know, still forcing turnovers, but still have to stop some of those explosive plays. And now in the scheme of the game, you know, USC held them to 17 points, but they continue to give up big chunks, chunks of yardage for a bend, don't break defense, you know, get the turnover, hold them to a field goal, they miss a field goal. Keeping them out of the end zone is the main purpose, but it always doesn't look great when you're giving up some big runs and some big plays and can't get off on third down. So those still need to be the, those uh, weaknesses of the defense still need to be addressed and things that can be addressed in recruiting. Obviously, the other thing is you know the looming what we think transfer of Gary Bryant Jr. the wide receiver put him or uh, moved to scout team uh, earlier this week and opted to take his red shirt, which you usually means you know there's a transfer in the works the new transfer windows are in place so he can't just enter the portal um so this feels like a it, it feels like friday on the wall that number one gary Bryan jr will be looking for a new home uh in the future so you know i know that's something that you wanted to hit on because you covered uh gary Bryan very closely out there at centennial a uh, corona centennial excuse me yeah, that's, um, you know, one of the negatives to where USC is right now with their wide receiver room in their passing game is that they only have one ball. <laughs> so it's not that Gary Bryant isn't playing. He's playing a lot. You know, he's in the game a lot. He's just not getting the targets he wants. And Gary's even going back to his freshman year in the abbreviated season was kind of a little unhappy about how much he was getting the ball. And so, you know, you can obviously see at this point, um, you've got Mario Williams getting way more targets. You're going to have Jordan Addison there. Uh, you've seen, you know, even with Brennan, uh, Rice is, is getting some targets there. And I think Gary just kind of feels like he's fallen through the cracks a little bit um, in terms of the contributions that he's making and, and his ability to uh, show his talents. Uh, now, Gary Bryant, like Corey Foreman, is former teammate at Cronus Centennial um, has been in and out of the lineup uh, from a practice standpoint a little bit, not recently, but over the off season, not being able to practice as much. So, you know, you wonder if he's got the offense down, if he's got the routes down, if he's, you know, the underneath threat that he needs to be to get more touches and not just be a deep threat. Um, certainly he's a weapon in special teams, but USC special teams right now is kind of meh. That's something kind of meh. Yeah. Kind of mid talking about, you know, down the line, if this offense actually runs into a defense, that's able to stop them. Uh, the punt team has been a bit underwhelming. And so we're going to have to see how that goes. And I think, you know, even going back to what you talked about with the run defense, you know, I don't think it hurts them right now so much in recruiting. I, I don't think it's a big deal in recruiting right now. It's more of a big deal if you lose games and maybe the higher levels, uh, maybe you're, you know, talking about like conference championship or you're talking about a Rose Bowl or you're talking about a college football playoff game and you lose because your defense, then it becomes a bit of a, a talking point for other schools. It becomes a narrative. And this is what happened with Oklahoma. You know, there was a little bit of that. Well, Oklahoma, you go there if you want to be uh, a quarterback. You go there if you want to play offense. You want to play uh, wide receiver or running back. But you don't go there to play linebacker. You don't go there to play defensive line. They're not a defensive oriented football program. And so you have to want to shake that narrative. And 
if you start losing games and it's because of your run defense, then, you know, that's going to happen. USC obviously hasn't run, lost any games yet. So that's not an issue. That's not a talking point. So that's a little bit of just a, a one of those things that you just know, okay, if it continues to be an issue, it's probably going to be exploited by a good team. And then it becomes uh, something that hurts you on the recruiting trail down the line. But nevertheless, yeah, with Gary Bryant's unfortunate, uh, he's not feeling it right now. But you never know. It is a long season because these transfer right. porthole windows are not going to open up until the end of the season here. Um, you never know what's going to happen, man. I mean, you've got Taj Washington there. You've got Mario Williams. And, uh, you know, God forbid anybody gets hurt, knock on wood. Um, you, you, you don't know. He's there. He's practicing. He, he could see an opportunity. Uh, to 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 play and to be a star um, and step in there, and he may want to you know jump back right back into the out of the porthole or, or potential porthole, I guess you could say the pre porthole out, out of the out of the event horizon of the porthole. Uh, he'll take a, a step back and end up back uh, contributing for the team. You, you just you don't know for sure. Right, super long season. You never know what's going to happen. They might need to call on Gary to help them out. So obviously, very tap talented. A player and we'll wish him the best wherever he ends up and maybe he doesn't end up anywhere other than USC but time will tell on that one Gerard let's very quickly jump into what happened around college football uh, you know kind of and how it maybe sort of plays just a look at around the nation of you know USC recruiting foes Oregon blew out BYU you know BYU did upset uh, number nine Baylor two weeks ago, so that's a big win for Oregon trying to you know crawl out of that embarrassment hole from getting waxed by Georgia in the opener has you know regained status in the top twenty five. So they're getting a little bit on a roll right now. Washington State put a beating on Colorado State. Uh, they're now three and zero, probably a little bit of a surprise team, including that big Wisconsin win on the road. So Washington State looking like a a crafty team that USC is going to have to face in a couple weeks here and Miami in the big recruiting bowl uh, lost to Texas A&M, you know, Texas A&M coming out of that loss to app state. Uh, it was a battle of a team with momentum with a team that's trying to get back on the momentum and Texas A&M went out and handled it to Miami and then Washington, which has been a sneaky kind of good offensive team early on. Uh, you know, proved a little something. They went to Washington, beat Michigan State, and suddenly, you know, the Huskies are looking like a formidable team uh, up north and, you know, a team that USC will be continuing to recruit against in the Pac-12 for a little bit. But they got an offense, Gerard, and that's going to be an interesting game, especially if maybe they meet down the line in the Pac-12 championship. We'll see how that shakes out. But some interesting results over the weekend. Yeah, I think the Washington game was certainly the most impressive. That seemed like the best complete team win. Um, Oregon beaten by BYU. BYU is pretty beaten up. And so, yeah, it's going to take a little more for them, like you said, to get out of that. What do you call it? A shame hole? I don't know. The embarrassment hole? Yeah, embarrassment um, hole, I think, is what I <laughs> – So eloquently put it. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, they are definitely – Still lingering in that a bit, you know, that being a, a nationally televised game, opening season game 
uh, everybody, you know, want to see, you know, how Georgia looks this year, defending national champions, and they just squashed Oregon. Uh, so, yeah, being BYU was good. I mean, it was definitely a good win for them. It was a huge win for them. But I think in terms of recruiting, eh, it probably was uh, didn't move the needle quite as much as it did with the media and just with college football fans. Uh, whereas Washington being Michigan State, you know, Michigan State's recruiting really well. Yeah, Michigan State's been really good in the transfer portal as well. Um, so they put a shellacking on on, on uh, Michigan State. They, they Washington looked good offensively. Um, they they passed the ball really well. Michael Penix uh, Penix is definitely playing really well. He's kind of it's funny because I was watching him and I was thinking he kind of reminds me of somebody. And I, I thought about it. It was actually DJ Lagway. I was just thinking about recruiting. Interesting. And I go. I go. You know what? Yeah. There's a little. It kind of looks a little like maybe DJ Lagway a little bit. Um, I like Washington. You know, defensively they played really well. Now the question is, how good is Michigan State offensively? Because they're not necessarily known for being a jugger. Not offensively, uh, they tend to run the ball very well. Uh, but I don't know that they really have those horses this year. So. They could be a bit one-dimensional and just not great offensively. And obviously a little Notre good. Dame-esque. Yeah, but that's a good comparison. Yeah, just just not a good offense and not good to the point where it hurts you uh, just in terms of um, you, you, the, the, the position that you have on the field and um, like momentum. And it's just it's sort of one of those things that makes everything harder on your defense and especially if you're turning the ball over. So – um, yeah, I, I did like what I saw from Washington physical team. Uh, they, they tackled well, uh, their run game is, is yeah, pedestrian. I didn't think it was great. Then nobody that just like stood out too much and, and the receivers are not necessarily like big name guys, but they play pretty well against Michigan state. That's a good defense you would think. So yeah, uh, Mel Tucker got, uh, he got a hand it to him up there in Seattle and that's a, that's a tough place to play anyways. Um, Miami losing to Texas A&M kind of thought. Miami would lose to Texas A&M. You thought Texas A&M uh, probably was looking ahead to that game a little bit when they lost to Appalachian State. And um, neither team looked great offensively, though. Uh, if you're talking about recruits and we're talking about who USC is looking at, um, obviously you have Francis Monagoa there committed to Miami, the offensive tackle from IMG. And then um, Texas A&M flirting around a little bit with Malachi Nelson, which I, I never heard that was going to be a real thing. Um, Malachi Nelson could potentially still visit other schools. There are some other schools out there. It was just more of a shot over the bow, um, you know, that he was committed to USC and decided to take an unofficial visit at that point in time. And Texas A&M just happened to be the school he was taking that visit to. But Texas A&M not looking good offensively, <laughs> um, not looking like a threat right now to uh, steal anybody away from USC. Uh, Washington State beating Colorado, not a lot of common recruits there. Uh, for those two schools, uh, Washington State obviously went up and, and beat Wisconsin uh, the week before. Uh, they look like they could be a, a, a good team, a, a very decent team. And, you know, hopefully they stay undefeated and you get, uh, you know, an interesting game down at the Coliseum that people will turn out to see. Like you said, right now, Arizona State's kind of a tomato can. So that's <laughs> probably not going to really draw a lot of people in. You know, I could see people kind of going, eh, you know, I. It, it's the thing is this, and it, it, I hate to say it because it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like offenses draw people in. A great offense will draw people to the Coliseum. It, even if it's not necessarily a, a championship team, people love to see touchdown score, right? And even if it's like a 52 to, 
49 game, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> he played no defense. People are still excited about that. And, and those years where USC, um, I mean, they were good and they were good offensively, but you had Matt Liner, you had Reggie Bush, you had all those offensive stars. That's when the Coliseum was rocking the most. So, you know, maybe even if Arizona State's not a really good team, um, the more these offensive stars play well and people want to see them do amazing things. And we haven't really seen any like spectacular individual performances so much. I think Jordan Addison has definitely played really well, but Mm -hmm. we have yet to see that, that crazy, that crazy play, you know, that kind of like, you know, Caleb Williams rolling out, throws the ball behind his back or some weird crazy type type of thing like that. I will say this. I I think that I underestimated how good Jordan Addison was. Uh, I will take that one on the chin because I was called out. I was called out about that over the summer. Like I was, I was, you know, I was basically, I was comparing him to being a lot like Mario Williams. And I thought Mario Williams did a lot of the things that Jordan Addison can do. And I don't think that's, that's a totally inaccurate statement, but I do think watching him now, Jordan Addison's got just a little more quickness, a little more suddenness open in an open space. He's making more plays um, than I thought he could. Uh, he's got a, he's a little tweener between maybe a Robert Woods and, and a Marquise Lee. He's kind of in between. He's a little more uh, twitchy, I think, than, than Robert Woods. Um, not quite as big as Robert Woods. I don't think he's as good at run blockers. Robert Woods was at this point. Um, but then he's a little thing more athletic. He's got a little more of that Marquise Lee where I think that, you know, he can, I mean, he's made some plays in the open field and, and, you know, broken some tackles and done some things. And, Clearly, there's points in the game where Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison decide, okay, we're gonna we're gonna complete this pass. Like that they that first opening drive of the game against Fresno State, uh, Caleb Williams missed three different open wide receivers. He missed a wide open Mario Williams down the sideline. Um, then later in the drive, he missed uh, Lake McCree, who was wide open in the end zone on the same play where he missed Jordan Addison, who I think was uncovered on that play. <laughs> so he misses all these plays and it's like, okay, well now we're, now we're down to where I was, it? I think it was third down and they had to get that play. And it just, they just brute forced it. It was like, I'm going to roll out and you're going to make a good route and you're going to, and I'm going to throw it where nobody can get it. And we're just going to do that. It was like almost what you would do with, you know, like a, a six, five, 225 pound receiver where you just throw up the 50, 50 ball. It's like, you can't stop it. You know, it's coming. You can't stop it. Well, you know, Jordan Addison isn't that big, but he's a great route runner. He's fast. He's got amazing hands. And Caleb Williams can put that ball uh, anywhere. And that's so it was just that's what they did. I'm going to roll out and I'm just going to throw. I'm going to wait because he could have got him right out of his break and it would probably have been an easier catch and throw. But he waited and then he waited to the last minute and then he just tucked it in there right, right there with the, the corner of the pylon. Beautiful. And I don't know really how you got back onto Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams off of Miami, Texas A&M. I don't know what you did. It was, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happened. I feel, I felt my brain is like, did we go back in time? He just like re-went to something else. It is, I'm just going to give you a very quickly. Uh, a See, I We're that. talking about the offense and fill in the stand. Right. And, you know, right. There you go. Okay. Arizona now, State now I see how we got here. Now I see yeah. how we got here. Yeah. It was, it's, it's about those, those big name impact players, those recognizable faces. LA loves them. 
And even if Who you're doesn't? not playing well defensively or or what have you, they're going to show up and they're going to watch those teams play because it's they they just love that. All right, Gerard. Very quickly as we close out the topic part of the show before we get into listener questions. Very quickly run down the high school football schedule for this Friday. Well, the games that are interesting for Trojan fans are going to be Pacifica is playing at Ventura High School. So you got two USC commits there uh, playing against each other. You got Malachi Crawford, the 6'4, 195 pound safety slash cornerback that committed to USC um, at the end of July. And you've got the offensive lineman Tobias Raymond, offensive tackle for Ventura. Uh, playing in that game. You also have Bakersfield Liberty making the trek down to Carlsbad. So uh, they're just uh, camping out there on the other side of Camp Pendleton, and they're going to be playing carpet. So you're going to have Grant Bucky, the 6'5", 265-pound, three-star defensive lineman uh, from Liberty playing against Baker, uh, uh, San Diego Carlsbad. So that Julian should be Sain. Julian Julian Sain with Julian Sain at Carlsbad. That's right. I, I, I totally blanked about that. But uh, USC not recruiting Julian Sane. <laughs> so that's why. See, you got to make room for the guys that USC are committing. And the guys that are not being, uh, excuse me, USC are recruiting. The guys that are not being recruited by USC, it's just like, you know, they just got to push them outside your brain. Um, Modesto Central Catholic coming down to play St. John Bosco. Uh, Modesto Central Catholic clearly uh, a little masculinist. What, what was the word I'm looking for here? Uh, sadomasochist. Oh, sadomasochist. Yeah, ma- yeah, masochist. Masochist. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yes. They like pain. They like pain. Modesto Central Catholic masochist. They played all the top teams. It seems like up there in Northern California, um, they've been blown out. I think the last three games pretty badly, and now you're going to St. John Bosco. That's a that's a tough one. That's a that's a tough ask. <laughs> For uh, the Modesto Central Catholic Masochist. There you go. Thank you, Chris, for that. And, of course, the big game, the biggest game of the week is going to be. Not in California, Gerard. It's not not in California. California. Not not in California, folks. Don't don't get in your car and start driving around the freeways. It's not. You're not going to be able to get there. Uh, Maybe if you left now, maybe you'd get there in time. Um, But uh, we're going to see Newman High School. Hello, Newman. Play against Manny. And we know who's that Manny. It's the man, the myth, the legend. It's Mr. Tackett Curtis. And we know who's that Newman. It's Mr. Arch Manning, who is the arch nemesis of the peristyle, evidently. And they are going to play this weekend. And I'm telling you, there's a little tomfoolery going on here already, Chris. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's already a little shenanigans. Break it down. Uh, I went to the Manny high school football schedule. And I was just looking at, you know, are they playing at Manny or are they playing at Newman? Uh, you know, is it the flat earthers uh, versus the, the the no earthers, whatever, you know, is going on. And they already had the game and they already had Manny losing the game. I was like, what? They didn't play. Really? Manny, this is, And they had it on the schedule that Manny lost. And it was, it was, I think it was like a zero, zero, it looked like a forfeit or something. So somebody, I think, I think, I think is a little artificial, maybe a little artificial, uh, motivation there like you know like oh they already think we're going to lose the game because of arch manning i don't know what's going on there maybe hate games i'm not sure somebody hacked it could be a hacker could, could have a hacker on our hands but uh nevertheless that's going to be an interesting game to watch um arch manning not putting up any stats this year for max preps so we don't know what kind of year he's really had um <laughs> seen some tape of him not impressed but uh we'll see you know we'll see that could 
could uh, have a, a big game, could be just holding all back, sandbagging um, to uh, take on uh, Tackett Curtis and uh, a Manny. Yeah, we got a question about that, about, you know, how excited we are. I'm personally very excited about this drug. I'm very excited uh, about this like You, you yeah, sound very I, This one has been circled for my schedule. I, if, if it wasn't going to Corvallis this weekend, I would be there. I'll tell you that right now. I would want to go out there. i pay my own way to go see some Tackett Curtis against Arch Manning. Arch is coming off a big comeback win last week, so two 3-0 teams. And, Gerard, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Tackett Curtis is just going to break the spirit of these flat earthers. I have no idea. All I know is that that Newman offensive coordinator better not run Arch Manning. That's all I'm saying. That's my only advice for Newman and their offensive coordinator. Do not run Arch Manning. That's all I got to tell you because if you do, you're – you're putting, you're throwing him to a wolf out there in Tackett Curtis, and but I don't know, I don't know if he goes on a run. I have no idea what's going to happen to that that kid, and with with that guy, that dog in Tackett Curtis, incredible for- use of adjectives there. Yes, I think uh, I don't think you agree with me. You agree? I don't think Arch Manning is normally a guy that runs the ball a whole lot. I don't know, man. Every every play I see is him juking out a guy who cannot, who's flat-footed every single time. Tackett really? Curtis is not going to be flat-footed every single no, time. No, no, no. The question no. is going to be, you know, do you do you bring him up to the line of scrimmage? Do you do you play him single deep because obviously Newman's going to want to pass the ball a bit? Um, you know, that's that's the thing. They they are going to have that number four. Just it, they're going to just follow that around. They'll have guys basically shadowing him, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, he can't just blitz off the edge or something like that. And the thing is, though, I just don't know if Newman really has anybody to counteract that. You know, they right. really have to do it as a team. They have to. They have that big tight end, uh, Texas commit as well. You know, that might be their best bet to just like throw him in front of Tackett Curtis. I don't know, but. I, I, I just don't know. I just think Tackett Curtis is the best athlete that's going to be on the field there tonight, and I think he's just going to do some things against these uh, these guys. Tonight? Wow, the game's tonight already. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, oh, tomorrow, oh, sorry. Okay. It's tonight I, right now. I'm so fired up. I just want it to happen right now. I want this game on TV. You're so fired up. Are you still back here uh, trying to figure out like how I started talking about Jordan Addison uh, after we got into week two of college football there? Yeah, that's 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 still a thing. And um, Arch Manning threw for 17, sorry, 17, 317 passing yards, four touchdowns, and had a rushing touchdown last week in their comeback against Benton, which apparently yeah. is a five A school, and they're a two A school. Okay, all right, all right. I I mean, I looked at in terms of records, like the schools that they've been playing. Seems like Manny's played a little better competition, but. Yeah, man, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. I'm not. Manny has to well. play up because no one wants to play them in their division. Yeah, that's that's the story with them. So this is a big one. I expect this one to get a big, big crowd. Number one guy in the country go up against a a dog, and I cannot wait to see the highlights and the clips that come out of this game. That's all I can say, Jordan. All so I- we got like 
a deluge of questions. And at this point in time in the podcast, this is when Ryan Abraham will say, okay, Gerard, rapid fire. So is that what we're going to attempt at this time? Or we're we going to go through these normally I, I, and try to answer them insightfully? I think we're just going to try to do them insightfully. There's a big stack of questions at the end. Multiple people are, some people sent multiple questions. I'm not going to be able to get through all these. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I do not plan on answering every single question. We'll save some for next week. But I'm not going to say rapid fire for you because even when I try to do that, it seems to like come back on me in some way. It makes it longer. I don't know how that works. But if you want us to answer your question on this podcast, you can email us at podcast.usfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, cilantro boys, menudo, menudo men, whatever, 10K, hurricane, uh, Troy Annenberg, whatever, the composite. Just make sure you, you identify us in some way so it goes to us and comes to me so we can put in there. You can also DM me. Do not DM Gerard. He's not going to read it. And most of these, I don't even know why I do the email thing because we only get like one email a week, but I get like flooded with DMs uh, going to the show. So without further ado, Gerard, are you ready to tackle some questions? Yes. Rapid fire. Candy ploy. Sorry, I just needed to drop that at some point. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to start? D from Central Valley asked us two questions. One of them we already addressed earlier, so I don't need to get to that. Uh which, if any, of USC's three-star commitments have a chance to get their fourth star? And do you think eventually Makai gets that fifth star? Yes. I absolutely agree. think that Makai gets his fifth star. I mean, that's that's just going to happen. I, I think at this point, is it just not that 24-7 doesn't have any five-star athletes? Yeah, he, he's, he's in five-star range. Five-star range is top 32. He is 24. 24-7 sports does not give out that fifth star until, like, the very end of the process. He's number 24. I feel like he's going to get bumped up back into the top 20 in the next re-rank just based off what he's doing right now. He's dropped to four-star in the 24-7 sports composite. So you need to be beefing with everybody else. But – as I expect him to move up in the 24-7 sports rankings, I expect him to move up in any, everyone else's rankings. So I don't. I feel like he's going to be a consensus five-star back uh, to a consensus right, – not back, but he will have consensus five-star status by the end when he signs if he keeps playing like this. 100%. I think that uh, it goes without saying. He's, he's going to be a five-star. He's shown it. Against national competition, even the guys in the East Coast when he played against American Heritage were like, "This dude's the best athlete <laughs> in the country." And you know, when you get coast to coast, people signing off on you, you're you're gonna get that fifth star. So, I mean, I think that's just a matter of time um, before that actually happens. In terms of the three stars that USC has committed, I mean, I'm a big fan of Christian Pierce. Yep. It's just a matter of you know him being able to get that game that he shows out and plays in front of. Uh, the, the the regional guys and what have you. But, I mean, he has the size. He has the speed. Got to stay healthy. You know, got to stay healthy. Uh, but I think he's potentially that guy could definitely go up and be a four-star. I mean, I like Amos Talalele. I think the thing that's yeah, tough with him say. is the level competition Absolutely. he plays against. He just bullies those kids. And it's like it's hard for people to really to, to gauge yeah. Yeah, what that means, you know. But he's 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 legitimately big. He's legitimately got great feet. 
Um, he's, he's balanced. He moves well. Uh, I think when you look at him as an interior guy, as opposed to uh, playing tackle, a lot of the question marks that you have of him as a blocker go away. And so, yeah, I mean, I think talent wise, he's a big time player and he's a guy that could definitely be a four-star player. I just think that people are wary because of, uh, the, the, the competition of level, the, the competition he's playing against and the competition he's playing with. Also, it's kind of, you know, he's playing with a lot of uh, guys that are not going to be Division One football players. So it's kind of hard to just look at the next guy and go or, or somebody else on the team and go, OK, I can kind of sort of compare um, the athleticism or, or what he's doing or the size. You know, people don't have that necessarily. Um, out of the other three stars, I mean, Grant Bucky's pretty high, too. He could potentially, you know, with a really good game against Carlsbad. I mean, you like you brought up. I mean, Julian saying he's five star, 2024 guy, um, one of the top rated uh, quarterbacks in the nation for that class. Uh, I think he's still the number one rated quarterback in California for that class. I mean, Grant Bucky, you know, gets off and starts, you know, eating and sacks uh, Julian saying a few times. I mean, that yeah. would definitely be big time for him uh from that standpoint you know if he has a big game against there we'll be there we'll be there grant we're gonna be there and we're gonna get that we're gonna see you just show out uh against carlsbad and uh maybe he'll get his fourth star from that um kate eldridge it's tough because i mean lenny christian it's a small school he's I, you know i haven't been able to track down many stats for him either he i know he had a block punt return for a touchdown a couple weeks ago he, he did. just seems like a crazy athlete just a freakish jumbo athlete playing against a bunch of little kids. And that's again, tough. Like, you know, what, what do you do? It, it, a lot of this, it's guys not going to camps and not going to other events to at least eyeball them next to other division one guys. So when you're playing at that small level school competition, it just becomes that much harder to make that jump. So, um, you know, the guys that have a chance are the guys that are going to play against some legit competition this season. Grant Bucky, like I said, Amos Talalele, I think his film is great, but I don't know that the competition is going to be there to, to really get people excited. Um, I think Christian Pierce could definitely end up being there just in terms of his production this year. And he has a potential of, of playing against some good teams uh, down the line. He's already played against a couple of good teams and had good years. It's just he hasn't had necessarily the big year, uh, the big game where he's had like two or three interceptions. Two or three interceptions. And I know Micah Benuelos is a four-star in our rankings and a three-star in the composite. That's a guy who could probably earn uh, a consensus four-star prospect uh, rankings. But I agree with everyone you, you mentioned, especially Amos, Christian Pierce, and Grant Bucky obviously has a chance to you know get over that high three-star uh, bump and jump into that four-star range. So those would be kind of the leaders in the clubhouse for both of us, Gerard. Another question from uh, Kebui on the P. This was a late addition. Uh, hey, Chris, this is for the two-star pod. I want to know if you and Gerard could go in-depth on the impact and value that Gavin Morris has brought to the football recruiting department at USC over the years. In my opinion, he is an invaluable asset to the team and his strong relationships with current and former Trojans is a testament to that. We'd love to know more about his origins and how he came to be the ace recruiter we now know him as. <laughs> the lore of Gavin Morris. Uh, Gavin started out, uh, I mean, he's done a lot. He was doing a lot in the marketing departments, and I think he worked for NASCAR for a little bit. He worked for, I think, the Braves also mm -hmm, for a little mm -hmm. bit. 
And then he ended up coming out here to the West Coast and he was doing some stuff on the side and also working with uh, B2G, which was one of the very first seven on seven slash offseason training outfits uh, that were really national. I mean, it was in Southern California, but also nationally, one of the first groups of guys uh, that had kids in the offseason and they were training them up and they were doing seven on seven. And so uh, he worked kind of I mean, he was kind of like a marketing hype man for B2G, uh, but he had a relationship with a lot of kids. And this was back before the association with the prospect rule was around. So you mm-hmm. could hire somebody that had all these, you know, ends with all these players and B2G had, you know, Amon Marshall, uh, Jack Jones. I mean, all those guys um, he had a relationship with. And I think, you know, Gavin more than anything is a people person and he has a ton of networking and he's got relationships with pro athletes. He's got relationships with people in media and entertainment. And I think, Right now, what he's used as most most of all is sort of a liaison between um, the community and the administration and the football team. So it's sort of a a three-headed monster of sorts where he's not just a recruiter that's around the recruits and can talk to the recruits and and, and be comfortable with the recruits and their families, but he's also helpful in being able to get USC's name and brand in front of guys like Ron Artest and, and, and people that are in the entertainment industry, but also sort of work around because he's actually, uh, I believe he's, his title is still uh, associate um, AD. I think he's associate AD. He's got a new title, used to be director of player development. That's been given over uh, to someone else. And he has a, I think it's like a director of community. De- There's some other title that he has at this point now, but he's an administrator actually. So he's, he's not just like in the football department as a support staff guy anymore. He moved to being an associate AD years ago. That was, you know, under Clay Helton, he got that title. Um, So you also have a little bit of somebody in the administration who has some knowledge with the recruiting process and going back again to sort of the ground level of like seven on seven and off season and trainers and how much that part of the cycle is important to being able to get commitments and sign kids, you know, cause that was like a big thing where USC was completely out of the loop with that. And, you know, when they went and they got Armand Hawkins jr, they got some other guys, it really helped just, I think, educate some of the coaches and again, the administrators also, cause it's important for the administrators administrators to be in on the loop of what it sort of takes to be able to land some of these guys. It's very mm-hmm. easy to sit behind a desk just be completely out of touch with what it takes. But when you have people in the administration to just have at least a little, a little idea of the legwork that needs to go in, the people you need to know, the, the, the champions that you need to be able to woo on your side, to be able to get influence over a particular player, that whole thing, it's really good to have somebody in there um, that sort of represents uh, the, the, the groundwork that goes into recruiting. So again, sort of, you know, community administration. And then obviously, you know, he's got that sort of uh, role with recruits and and players on the team as well. Um, just from, I, I guess you would say a player personnel development standpoint, um, there's still definitely something to be said there. So the origins of him have, have definitely been that it was Sark that gave him his start though. Sark is uh, the one who I believe hired him and, I can't remember what his first title actually was at USC, 
but over the years he's gotten some raises and he's gotten better titles and and his biggest title is he's an associate ad or he be- assistant associate ad i'm not 100 what his title is his first role was recruiting analyst and then it was the high school relations coordinator then director of player development and he's he was now he's named assistant athletic director player development uh and now he's the director of player development i, I guess that's what i just said Director yes. Okay, I thought they changed his. I title. thought so too, but that's what it says right here. Somebody's cheating, but Somebody's yeah. Cheating. Anyways, um, that's that's the lore of Gavin uh, Morris, and and like I said, I think that um, he brings something unique. And anytime you have guys that have worked uh, at that level, that ground level in recruiting, with you know, like I said, B two G, that was one of the first outfits that really they were doing that thing during the off season, that thing, which has become so huge and now national where you've got these all-star seven on seven teams. And there's just so much camaraderie. There's so much in terms of connections and link ups that these kids have an influence from those teams. Um, now those teams are going around on national tours. You've got S- uh, FSP, you've got fast Houston, you've got South Florida express. You've got all these schools and they're visiting them and, you know, you've obviously got to have some ties into those outfits, into to the people there. And so kind of need to have people on your staff that know how it works, you know, or, or they don't really understand it. And it can be very easily dismissed. I mean, I know UCLA has had sort of a contentious relationship with a lot of the local seven on seven teams. They just they just don't think that it's important to build those relationships with those guys and I mean, look at USC. You look at USC recruiting compared to UCLA recruiting. And fun fact: his uncle is actually Willard Bubba Scott, one of the members of the the famed Wild Bunch group. So, bet you didn't know that. I I, I did know I know that. Well, I, I was referring to the the, 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 the crowd, the, the, the crowd, the crowd, them. the people yelling back. I did know that. I did know that. Um, next question: Hey, bro. This comes from Danny. Hey, bro, question for the two-star pod. How is it with all the QB talent that's on the West Coast, and especially California, that some of these big-time high schools don't have a legit QB? Uh, Case in point, Sarah using a wide receiver as their QB. This is actually a good point because I was watching it, and I was like, why Sarah can't find, like, a, a quarterback that's, like, polished, and like not super young, like their their young sophomore who can step in and like be a guy. So Jason Mitchell doesn't. This is a uh, Sarah's a great example. Um, I don't really have a great answer for that, Gerard. I don't know if you do, but not for you know, Sarah. Not <laughs> for Sarah, Sarah. Yeah, I don't know if Sarah has a great answer for it because I mean they knew this. They knew this during the summer. Um, yeah, like that's uh, that's a that's a tough one. You know, I mean. Um, you see that from time to time, though. It just depends. There's only so many quarterbacks, and, you know, they want to go to certain schools, and they just have certain places where they feel comfortable. And um, you don't always just want to go where you feel like you're just going to have a lot of guys to throw the ball to, I guess. But, yeah, certainly. I, there's there's definitely um, plenty of guys out there that, uh, you know, maybe they're not even Division One quarterbacks. They're just good high school football players. They, they know the offense, and they can get the ball out of their hands, and they can let those big time receivers uh, make plays, you know, on the other hand, uh, that it's just, I don't know, man. It just, there's, there are some things that are a little unexplainable and um, that's, 
with Sarah, yeah, that's one of them. You would have figured some some good quarterback, uh, young or something like that, would see that situation and go, man, I man, we could put up like some crazy, crazy good numbers, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, didn't happen. Uh, this next question comes from Terrence House, aka House the Bouse. Uh, I added that last part. I'm sorry. Two star. What are you guys hearing about the QB situation for 2024? DJ DJ Lagway uh, has a high ceiling and seems very interested, but stacking Nelson and DJ seems like a tough task. No, but signing Brown, Elijah Brown, seems like a solid bridge between Nelson and the quote unquote next guy. Now, I'm not dismissing Brown altogether, but in terms of profile, he's a bit more realistic to stack. He's local, feeder school, very solid player, a winner, and could benefit in the grand scheme of things. Now, I get that Brown has to reciprocate the overtures, but if he does come around to USC being a real option, what do you guys think? Now, we touched on this a little bit, just just very uh, a little bit when we talked about DJ Lagway and Michael Van Buren and Elijah Brown and things like that. But DJ Lagway actually recently put out a top 10. That included the Trojans along with some big other schools. And we kind of mentioned how, you know, USC kind of made that Elijah Brown offer because, you know, you didn't really get the vibes you were looking for, the feeling, you know, with Lagway. You know, he took that visit, got the offer, you know, you're our guy. Then he feels like, you know, he was looking at other places a little more seriously, a little bit more uh, interested in other schools. And so USC decided to go, you know, Go back to a little local, offer Elijah Brown. I do say it is a tall task, and I feel like USC definitely is not in that top group for Lagway, uh, knowing that it is a a tough uh, top 10 to compete with. Not saying USC can't, just it just seems like USC is on the outside looking in for, for Lagway in that top 10. And Brown, you know, you know, as we mentioned at the top, you know, we wouldn't be shocked if Michael Van Buren ended up getting a USC offer down the line. Elijah is a little bit hard to read, a little bit hard to get a hold of. Uh, but USC, if they push, I would assume that they're going to be in that that realm of, you know, being among one of his top schools. Just because, you know, Lincoln Riley, local, modern day, all those things. But... I, w- I would still say that I, I just don't feel like the 2024 quarterback board has seen its last offer. That's all. That's all I feel like right now. Yeah, I would agree with that in terms of, and again, I, I think USC at this point, they've gone past the, you're the only guy we're going to recruit. You know, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily the best move with Dylan Riola. Uh, we were a little critical of it uh, mainly for me. It just, I, again, I, I sort of kept going back to fit, fit, fit. And, you know, what has worked in Lincoln Riley's system and why go away from it? it? It was like with Clay Helton, you had that year, you know, two years with Sam Darnold and you saw what a mobile quarterback could do and, and really kind of bridge the gap with the shortcomings of the system and the play and, and the playbook being able to be mobile and, and just get a, you know, yards here and there. I, I always said, it wasn't like these big 30, 40 yard runs that Sam Darnold was, was, was having that was, you know, so important to the offense. It was just getting away from the negative seven yard sacks that you're getting with Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels. Um, 
not having a guy that can get out of negative plays because negative plays can kill your offense. I mean, look at the – here's a great example. I mean, this is not a, a quarterback example, but an example of negative play just killing your momentum and killing a drive is where Mario Williams, after a huge run by Austin Jones, goes down. It's like a 40-yard run or whatever. Great run. Offensive line blows Fresno, uh, the, the guys that are actually in the box, out of the box, makes a big run. Next play, Mario Williams ends up getting called for illegal block downfield. You know, he's blocking uh, before the pass is thrown. That's a 15-yard penalty, right? That's basically a pass interference penalty. So it makes – it's like first and 25 now. Now it's first and 25. Well, it's second and 20. It's just first and 25. That drive went to hell in a handbasket in the blink of an eye. <laughs> it just, just fell apart. And that's college football. That, that happens a lot in college football. And a guy like Caleb Williams can usually get you out of those negative plays. Not like, again, that was Mario Williams. It was a penalty. A little different situation. But when you don't have a mobile quarterback and you've got Keaton Slovis – or you've got a Matt Barkley, or you've got a JT Daniels, uh, you kind of put yourself in a position where if your pass protection is not great, you're going to have those negative plays and they're going to kill drives. And so I think that's really important in, in, in Lincoln Riley's system. So when I saw the Dylan Rayola sort of, that's our guy, I'm like, okay, he's kind of mobile. He could kind of get out of his own way. He's a big quarterback. He's the son of a former NFL Pro Bowl center, but that's not really the profile stylistically of the guy that Lincoln Riley's had a lot of success with. A guy like Michael Van Buren is. Now, he's a little shorter. He's smaller, right? And there's always, you know, we look at the exception of the rule and everybody does and they go, well, yeah, Bryce Young, man, because those guys just, you know, fall off of trees every day. Um, But you still have to kind of look at that and say, okay, you know, what he gives, what his arm strength is. I think it's more about passing the ball what can he do? Um, that's where he's got to improve his game more to get USC's attention. But that to me is more down the line of where USC probably is going to end up or maybe even should end up. Can they stack? Yeah, you can stack. You can stack. And it's and certainly if you go after a guy that might be a little more athletic than he is polished as a quarterback and you can sell him being behind Nelson, uh, Malachi Nelson, right? You're selling Malachi Nelson sitting behind Caleb Williams. And I think that's going to be huge for Malachi Nelson. I think that's a it's needed for Malachi Nelson to be able to sit back and take that redshirt year and learn not just on the field how Caleb Williams operates, but off the field, especially in this day and age of NIL and everything that's going on off the field, to be able to just have someone and watch how they handle the process, I think is absolutely man, it's so important for maybe the most important position on the field, and that's quarterback. And so I think you can sell that. You can sell the mentorship of Lincoln Riley, the development. And, you know, being on the roster and not playing right away is not such a bad thing. And so uh, I, I, I do sort of think that you can stack a little more. And quite frankly, I mean, most of these schools do have to stack. I mean, Devin Brown was a pretty highly sought-after quarterback in the 2022 class. He ends up signing with uh, Ohio, Ohio State. State, who at that point still had Queen Ears, and then they turn around and they get Dylan Raiola with Devin Brown still on the roster. The good teams, the really elite teams, they stack these positions, and there's no questions about, well, we can't get this guy, or there's excuses made. You go out there and you stack your roster. You get great running backs every year. You get great receivers every year, and then you sort it out. 
You know, you sort it out during fall camp. You sort it out during spring ball. And the best players, they play. Beautifully said. We have a two-parter from Daniel Austin. The first question is, question for next two-star pod. I just started following USC football closely and recruiting this year. Well, glad you are. Sounds nice. like you just Good dad. I'd like to hear that. We have we have the initiated. We have the initiated. I, I love it. Before I was just a game day watcher. Anyway, anyways, I was a great above uh, T Mac. That's Tatora McMillan from Servite High School, and was wondering how his recruitment played out and if USC was ever an option. The second question is: uh, DeAndre Moore is planning official visit to Texas. He has former officials left is planning on taking them all. Will USC push to get him on campus and ultimately a part of the class? Or is USC happy with the three guys they have right now? Gerard, you know I was a big T-Mac guy. And undoubtedly, I knew he's going to be a beast at the next level. He is already doing really well for Arizona and that fun team over there uh, in Tucson. But yes, USC was a option for him and you know they they offered him early they pushed early you know obviously they had the transition with Lincoln Riley and Clay Helton and that staff but they continued to try to get in with him but in the end uh T-Mac felt like he wanted to go to Arizona he had his uh his his longtime childhood friend uh Noah I'm blanking on the last name Noah Fafita? Fafita, yes. Quarterback, and, you know, they're part of this group. I, I believe it's uh, – OC Buckeyes, Cal- baby. Oh, no. Was it was that them, the juice? What was the juice thing? Well, that's – yeah, the OC Buckeyes, uh, the top Warner team, that's there. It's like you have IE Ducks, you have OC Buckeyes. So all those guys were OC Buckeyes guys uh, growing up uh, playing together. And so they all kind of went to Servite, and then there was a big deal, you know, with them kind of being a package deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Going on, which wasn't going to happen because uh, T Mac ended up committing to Oregon, uh, but obviously that sort of fell apart when uh, Oregon lost their coach. And um, you know, Arizona was always a- an option for him because of those OC Buckeye ties. Absolutely, and you know, his mom liked USC. You know, that was he and his mom took their first official, uh, not official, but unofficial visit to USC. And you know, I remember telling him, "Is you know, his mom." Got really emotional just seeing the opportunities that football has allowed for her her son. So that was, you know, obviously a, a moment, uh, you know, being able to stay close to his mom. But, you know, that package deal came together late in the process. He was also a very talented volleyball player. You would see volleyball coaches were in, in on the recruitment. But, you know, T-Mac, you know, kind of, you know, went his, own, went his own way. They really could have used him at wide receiver. I mean, right now it's obviously working out well for USC and how they recruited the portal. But... T-Mac would have been a big weapon on this team, six foot five, just freak athlete. And yeah, so the case in point, USC was part of, was an option for him, but Arizona and that, that package deal with some of his childhood friends won out in the end. Uh, Gerard, I don't know if anything you have to add there. Oh, I think I can add uh, okay. a little backstory here okay. uh, now in hindsight uh, that certain people have left the program. Um, there was a point oh, okay. Okay. during the summer when, um, you know, 
T-Mac uh, originally committed to Oregon. I think it was like August or September. So we had spoken to him uh, at the Elite 11. And oh, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Yes. <laughs> okay. Go. He, Go for he, it. He had taken some visits to some other schools and he actually went to USC unofficially. Um, it was like, you know, everybody was jockeying to try to get him back on campus before he was going to make this decision. And uh, he went down to USC with uh, his folks and he had a good time. Um, but uh, what I had heard, and, and I cannot verify this to be fact, but I got it from a good source. Uh, but I don't know what was actually said in the room, but I, I'll convey that, uh, you know, he talked to Clay Helton and Clay Helton sat down and said, you know, what, you know, where are you with this decision? Where do we fall uh, in, in, in all your favorites? You know, we really think you're great. We want you and we're pushing for you. And um, he said, coach, you know, because I, I really like USC and, and I like you. Uh, I got a great relationship with, with, with you. You know, it's great to actually, you know, talk to you because I don't really talk to anybody else on the staff. And it was like, what? And um, evidently Helton was not happy about that. Mm -hmm. And this is how my source would know about it. Like I said, don't know what was actually said in the room, but Helton, who did not really – you know, F-bomb or get mad very often with the staff or anything uh, overtly was was actually pretty upset about what supposedly was said to him in terms of just not having a real relationship with the – And as he, as he should be, Gerard, as he should be. I, I guess so, yeah, yeah. But just, just didn't have a connection uh, according to the kid, you know, that he had with some of these other schools. And we'd sort of heard this, you know, with maybe some other players and what have you. Um, you know, uh, at that point in time, USC was completely on the outside looking in for CJ Williams as well, who would go on to commit to Notre Dame. Um, there was clearly wide receiver recruiting was not a strength for them at that point. So um, that was not a bombshell for us to hear, but it was interesting that it was supposedly unveiled like that. <laughs> and um, so, you know, he ended up committing to Oregon. And, and, and like Chris kind of said, he went through that process and then you know, Oregon uh, loses their coach. And he was already sort of, you know, he was looking at Arizona really, really seriously, even through that process. And there was a lot of talk like he was going to decommit from Oregon and still end up going to uh, to Arizona. But that didn't really like happen. The, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was certainly Mario Cristobal going to Miami and that sort of opened the door for Arizona. But, you know, in hindsight, like where would he be now? Uh, he wouldn't be playing. Um, I mean, you know, and, and USC ends up getting CJ Williams and they recruited CJ Williams very hard. And I really got the feeling like this staff was, was very high on CJ Williams coming in. I, I think they felt very comfortable with what CJ Williams brought to the table. Um, and uh, CJ Williams had a great senior year. It's just one of those things where it just sort of lined up and it was like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're not going to balk uh, about, you know, taking CJ and taking relief. And, uh, and and getting Damani and trying to get David Bailey, um, that was just a full go. So at that point, there really wasn't a lot of any contact or communication. And I don't know how hard USC really, really worked to even get back um, into the into the conversation with T Mac. I mean, he was obviously wavering at that point and uh, not looking at Oregon uh, as hard as he was because the coaching staff move and he had a lot of relationships there at Arizona. But I don't think SC really tried to interject too much 
I'm sure somebody made a call and said, Hey, you want to come down for an unofficial visit? And, and you know, there was a couple calls made, but I think once they felt like CJ Williams was interested and, and that mm-hmm. was going to work out, it was like, Hey, you know, let's just, let's just go with that. So, I mean, it certainly worked out for USC and, um, you know, in the future, we'll see what happens with uh, with T-Mac, with Arizona. Arizona is, uh, like you said, a, a fun team to watch. Um, their quarterback's kind of running for his life a bit, uh, watching them play against North Dakota State. Who isn't running for their lives these they days, are. What was that? Who isn't running for their lives these days? Exactly. Uh, and that second part, DeAndre Moore, uh, you know, I had the answer in my head. Will you get him on campus? The answer is, yeah, get him on campus for a game. Obviously, he's taken a a visit to Texas. He's not super solid with Louisville. I know everybody's telling me, hey, you know, NIL collectives. But, um, you you know, you lost Gary Bryant. That's another position that opens up in the receiver room. Um, Another guy that sort of fits uh, stylistically what – Lincoln Riley really likes uh, in his offense. We saw that a lot with Oklahoma, those six foot receivers. Um, and, you know, he's committed to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. It's just one of those things where I think that he is looking at what USC has committed. And it's a matter of convincing him that he can fit in with those other two players that, you know, he's not redundant to Makai Lemon or a guy that's going to sit behind Zach, uh, Zach Branch. So I, I think there's still potential there with USC, you know, just as we've always pretty much thought that. Um, so we'll see, you know, how hard USC actually, you know, pursues that uh, if they go in other directions, if there's other scholarship offers that pop up um, again, I mean, you put up the points and have the production on offense that you're having and you got guys that are, you know, at the top of the list for all these different awards, you know, you're not going to have to make a lot of calls. There's going to be a lot of calls coming in. Right. Said, could have said it better myself, Gerard. Uh, a quick question from uh, Jagger. Uh, are there any true inside linebackers we're recruiting for the 2023 class? Well, funny you should say that because we, I guess maybe Arian Carter isn't a quote-unquote true inside linebacker. He's an athlete prospect. You know, they're, they're going to make into an inside linebacker for them. But right now, he would be the closest thing to answer your question, you know, that new... 2023 offer and you know i guess david pv still technically on the board but unless there's some new offers it's mainly those two as sort of the real options for usc in terms of a true inside linebacker kind of guy they're looking at just a couple yep okay he he agreed i got the approval from gerard (laughs) i mean you know again they they kind of balked on isaiah uh Chism, Chism, who's a good-looking player. Uh, actually, got to look at uh, some senior film from him, see how he's doing, see how he's looking. Um, Beaver commit. I mean, Beaver commit. Beavers are getting the steal there. I don't know, man. People are sleeping on Isaiah Chism. That dude don't look. Time like will tell, Gerard. Time will tell. The kind of guy that uh, you know, like uh, he's he, yeah, he's a good-looking dude. Um, so we'll see. You know, in terms of performance-wise, uh, I got to look and see uh, how he's played this season. Um, it just might be stylistically, you know, they're looking for faster, quicker. I can understand that. You know, Chisholm yeah. is a little more traditional sort of Mike linebacker maybe from that standpoint. Um, and USC, they they got to evaluate him plenty during the offseason. You know, he was at the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament, and they, they, they watched him. He was supposed to take an official visit to USC, and then it ended up being just an unofficial visit. So that was where we go, 
uh, you might be getting slow played a little bit here. You know, that, that was the sense we got reading between the lines. Um, and then, you know, commits to, to Oregon State. But he liked USC. He was interested in USC, um, comparing him to, to Arian Carter. And I don't remember who was tagged on that tweet when Arian Carter got uh, the offer. Brian Odom. Okay. So that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. He's being recruited as a linebacker. I saw somewhere uh, somebody talking about him being a running back, but um, yeah, just looking at him play absolute will linebacker in my position, in in my opinion, your, your position will linebacker. I got you. My position Uh, is that he's a will linebacker. uh, Trojan Sage. uh, I asked him to help me with that pronunciation because I always, you know, butcher it. He says, he is uh, of Japanese lineage, and it's his last name, Saijo. So it might be Saij. It just might be Saij. Uh, I might be murdering it further. I don't know. But he actually asked us three questions, but two we already answered throughout the course of the show. Wanted to know about the Maney Newman matchup or and our excitement for that. We already talked about that. And the new defensive line commit, not commit, excuse me, offer out of Colony and De- Dejan La. What, what are we? What are we? Lafitte? La, Lafitte, yes. Lafitte. Lafitte. Uh, so his last question that we haven't answered, his last question would be, do you have any clue to the two emojis Coach Lincoln Riley posted a few days ago? Does it mean we have two silent commits? Gerard, I know how much you love – excuse me. <coughs> I know how much you love – Allergies. Oh, excuse me. Two sneezes for two silent Stars. commits, Gerard. Whoa. Oh, okay. I thought we had a sneeze for each star. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Either no. however you want to interpret it. I refuse to play the emoji game. It's been too all over the place. I don't get into it. It's whatever. It's fun. It's fun for the fans, but um, there's there's guys that you know. And again, they're silent commitments. And somebody said something, a wink and a nod. You know, I'm not going to come out and say it. It's obviously silent for a reason. Um, and silent commitments are also like you know not not the yeah. most reliable things these days either i will say this 2024 class is gonna grow uh there's a lot of momentum there and um i think that's right now where the needle is moving the most you know but it's 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 coming you know 2023 is coming i think it's more probably towards the end of the year um if usc can can get to that point where uh they're playing notre dame in the nationally ranked and televised game and um, they've they've got a bunch of good wins behind them. It's it's going to be a, a big weekend for them, I think. A wink, wink, and a nod for sure. This one comes from Jesus Sands. Chris, after seeing the first three games of the season, and now that there's a bit more film to see what the team's strengths and weaknesses are, what position group do you think that should be more impressed that – excuse me, hold on. What position group do you think that should be more impressed with how the team is performing, not taking into account the wide receiver, running back, or QB group? Also, based on that, what two to three recruits you think that might be getting close to commit 23 or 24 class? Holy so cow, that, that's a troll of a question, isn't it? <laughs> he snuck that in there on me. He snuck that in there, <laughs> Okay, what what position group? So I think we, he's saying, what position group do you think we as like fans should be more impressed with, with how the team is performing? I think that's not taking into account wide receivers, running backs, or quarterbacks, right? Yes. 
do we do we count Solomon Bird in the edge position? Is that a that's not a position though? Oh well, rush end, I guess. You would be saying rush end, but then yeah, you would also be saying there's people probably equally as disappointed with Corey Foreman, right, right? As they are impressed with right. Solomon Bird. I don't think there's. I think it's tough. I think position wise, so going outside of just one player, because you could say, hey, Eric Gentry been very impressive. Right. Does that mean the linebacker position has been impressive? I have not That's been fair. impressed with Shane Lee. I've not been impressed with Shane Lee. He's, okay. He, this is his game. I'm going to say this right now. This is the game where Shane Lee shows he's a dude or he's not a dude. Because, you know, you play against Stanford and they do their little okie doke. Slow mesh read, okay. You know, you got you got faked out a little bit. Um, you play against Fresno State, and they're a little smaller team. Um, you know, they don't allow you maybe to do some things with a guy like Shane Lee. I kind of felt like maybe they should have played Shane Lee a little more than they did. I felt like they were kind of using him as a as a as a two down linebacker, and maybe he could do a little more as a three down linebacker. This is going to be the game where Shane Lee's got to be a dude. He's got to get his head right into that A-gap, and he's got to meet some of these bigger running backs that Oregon State has, like Fenwick or Martinez, that that are that are dudes that will start getting going if they get through that hole and they start running down. You know, you got to get them in the hole or you got to get them before they get in the hole. So this is a little more traditional type team. And, you know, Oregon State doesn't have their number one tight end um, playing Musgrave. So that's, you know, he doesn't have to necessarily get stuck out uh, on an island with him. Not that he normally would. But I just think in terms of matchups, this is where a game where you can see a lot of Shane Lee. And so the stuff where there's like end arounds and these things where he sort of looks like he's gotten his feet in concrete, this is not that team. You should be making some of these plays. So we're going to see. We're going to see. But but that's a question where you're, you know, are you impressed with the linebackers in general? Uh, I've been impressed with some play. I, I, I love what Eric Gentry's doing. But again, Shane Lee, go forth. Eh, eh. You know, edge rushers. I really like what Solomon Bird is bringing to the table. But, you know, Corey Form, he's, he's got to stop just flashing. He's got to actually, you know, finish his plays and, and make some tackles. Um, interior defensive lineman, you know, Thule's been playing well. But again, you know, is anybody else really there? Defensively, I don't know if anybody defensively, I'd say position wise, has been impressive. I would say because you're taking wide receiver, running back, and quarterback off the table, I'd say the offensive line for sure. That yeah. would be the position mm-hmm. as a whole playing really well. The, the tackles are playing really well. The interior guys are playing really well. We're not seeing a bunch of holding calls. We're not seeing a bunch of offsides. I mean, just discipline wise, that's again something that can derail drives for you if your offensive line is jumping off sides all the time or they're getting holding calls all the time we've seen them play very cleanly we've seen them play well in the run game and pass protect really well 100 the offensive line would be where i think that that's most impressive and in terms of the second part of that question like based on the offensive line play you know i would not be shocked if they picked up a 2024 offensive line commit i'm, I'm not look this isn't me like going off sources are just like, I'm just like maybe like a DeAndre Carter. I feel like USC is a team to beat for him. You know, he, he's he been to both games, seems to always enjoy himself when he goes up there. He went up there on his birthday, for goodness sakes. They had him a little bit of a cake, you know, little things like that. I, I would not be shocked, you know, if, if, if Carter popped on next Wednesday, I don't know, and just was like, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. 
you know, offensive line is playing really well. That's not me saying that. I'm just like, you wanted a name. I just threw out a name that, look, it kind of lines up. I wouldn't be shocked about it. Um, You're not yeah. making a prediction. You're just no, saying no, I'm just like. Vibe-wise. Yeah, vibe-wise. Based off what we're talking about, offensive line, just I'm just going off the vibe right now. I yeah. can't wait till till Trojan Wire writes a story like USC Insider says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Top 100 offensive lineman committee next Wednesday. Be on the lookout. <laughs> um, you know, I think, well, I mean, 2023 class, we know that USC is in a really good position for Deuce Robinson. Okay. So now, now they're going to write a thing where you just said Deuce Robinson closer to for Deuce Robinson. Hey, listen, there's <laughs> been a lot of winks and nods. Listen to the, you know, you got to read the war room more for, for some of that to get uh, maybe more background as to why we believe that we get a lot more specific with sourcing and things like that in the war room. But yeah, for sure. Deuce Robinson, guy that you, you got to feel pretty good about right now as a Trojan fan. Now he's going to take some official visits. He's going to go over to Georgia. He's going to maybe go to Alabama, Texas, you know, with Arch Manning's going to try to recruit him there. But USC is the lead school uh, by a good margin right now. So That'd be a 2023 guy. I think, you know, Roderick Pleasant is another guy that's very high on USC. Um, the, the sprinter out of Sarah High School, cornerback. That's another guy I would say. Um, now, I, I can't remember. Was a question to like the next the next recruits or it's just two or three guys that two or three scored? guys based on based on position groups that are performing well. OK. Oh, oh, geez. So now we, so we do have to go look at an offensive lineman because <laughs> that's the only I position. Offensive line. I, I gave you an offensive lineman. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. So, I mean, that's, um, that's, yeah. So, you know, would DeAndre Carter be that guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe. I maybe. Think he's, um, you know, I, I think he's going through the process, but I would say, you know, DeAndre Carter, for one reason why he could commit early is because he's been around and seen a bunch of schools. Uh, but those modern day kids are, they tend not to be super early on their commitments either. So that might be a bit harder. I, I think you're Look, you're I just looking, went on vibes. I just went on vibes. <laughs> I think you're looking, you know, more kind of like out of, they're probably more out of the blue with, um, you know, some of the 2024 guys. Um, Woodyard? That would, that would commit. Woodyard, maybe Peyton. Peyton's been around. He's seen a bunch of schools. I, I mean, I tell you who, and again, it's not really connected to the whole like who's <laughs> playing well sort of thing. Right. Um, but uh, but uh, Danny Eckhart. Really? Yeah. St. John Bosco. Committed right now to Ole Miss, but. Oh, yes, that's a good one. Yes. Could 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 be a flippy floppy maybe, and again could be a random flippy floppy, absolutely. Not connected to 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 anything, you know, in terms of like the positions that have impressed necessarily. I, I just think you know that's a cultural thing, that's a that's a vibe thing, that's a you know I can stay close to home, and I can you know I I can I can do I can be in this system and be very good. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a potential one. Um, trying to think of anybody else uh i mean i stated like the two guys um just just not based so much on um on on positions that have been pressed but just you know guys that i think that are in that bubble of you know very 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 interested in usc deuce robinson uh roderick pleasant uh, i'm trying to think of anybody else in the 2024 class i feel like the 2024 class you're gonna get some you're gonna get some joey olsen type 
you know, out of out of left field, a couple dudes here and there, you know, maybe like a defensive back from like Michigan or or, or somebody from the South or somebody that just kind of commits and you're like, well, really? Has this guy even visited USC yet sort of thing? And it turns out, yeah, he did, you know, at some point during the summer, just kind of low key and, and, and getting a few of those type of dudes. I, I think the 24 class right now is buzzing along enough to the point where that's potential. There's potential there with that. All right. Uh, Gerard, we have technically reached the end of our, our, our last question asker is Austin, but he sent four very thick questions, and we're running very late here. So I'm just going to have you pick. We are officially into Thursday. We are officially into Thursday, so we're going to have to save some of these for moving forward because for the most part, most of them are evergreen. So I'm going to have you just pick one, two, three, or four, and whatever one you pick, uh, we're going to do. For Austin here because I already I already DM'd him and I was like I cannot promise you we get to all these and we'll have to save some because we had a lot of questions this uh this episode so Gerard one two three or four hit me with one of them and then we'll get out of here one I want did you even the look at those one, the first question you go just, with that one okay so the St. Francis defensive line is a very stacked position group at the high school level more three and four star prospects then starting spots, do you guys think that Green signing will be more about breaking into the pipeline, or is he truly a raw prospect with a ton of potential? Have you ever spoken with Womack, the stud on the D-line? No, I have not spoken to Womack. Uh, I believe my brother really wants him for the Maryland Terpies, our Maryland Terpies. Uh, but I have not personally spoken to him. And I brought up the whole thing about uh, LSU commit uh, uh, Deshaun Womack is who he's referring to, 2023 commit. And in terms of signing about breaking into the pipeline or a raw prospect with a ton of potential, I brought up the the notion, I think we were setting up his, uh, the preview and the commitment about, you know, getting yeah, your foot in the door. Awesome. Yeah, getting your foot in the door at a program like St. Francis, uh, Gerard. I forgot what you said about it. Um, I, I mean, it, yes, but at the same time, I think Sam Green's flash is enough. Yeah, it's both. That, it could be both. It could be both things. Yeah, he, he. I mean, certainly that is a positive that comes along with it. Um, but, you know, it's funny because we talked about Michael Van Puren and on the sidelines – that that USC hat got passed around a bit um, at the end of the game, you know, that uh, Sam Green actually put on during the announcement. And uh, one of the coaches was wearing it for a little while and people were kind of passing around. And uh, Michael Van Buren is actually, he put it on and then he realized the camera was on him and he quickly took it off. Because, oh. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to create any any stir, any, any drama with that, which I actually like. I, I, I totally, I can appreciate that. In this day and age, with um you know interaction farming uh drama farming also that uh he just didn't want to you know he he didn't want to to give a false impression like you know people would obviously ask him like oh hey it's how you wearing that usc hat whatever usc isn't even offering him a scholarship yet so he doesn't want to necessarily make it look like he has some kind of you know real 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 love towards usc he wants to see if usc has some love towards him 
But nevertheless, obviously, there's a connection there. And the connection, as Chris can tell you, is, is DMV, not just St. Francis. It's, it's really kids in that region as a whole. But certainly, if you get a guy uh, that uh, is on the team and he does well, it's always going to help you uh, try to develop a little bit of pipeline. But I, I do feel like they genuinely, like Sam Green, just like those other schools that offered him late, um, and I think that's really probably most of it. You know, I, I, I can't say it's, you know, 100% could be a little, little 90%-ish because you do have that ability to go in there. And, um, you know, if he does well at USC, it will help you with guys. And, and it will help you guys with, with guys even right now. I mean, even with Momac, there's a potential that Sam Green comes out for his official visit, uh, which I think he said he was going to take it in like October. That's what he said, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the Coliseum's rocking for that Washington State game. Kind of talked about that earlier. Um, they bring in a couple guys. I mean, Womack, why not, bro? I, I don't know what he has in terms of his docket for official visits left, but this that's the kind of dude that I think USC's going to have a chance to, to, to at least get on campus with. Guys that are committed to other schools, guys that you're not going to hear a whole lot about in terms of, having interest in USC, but guys are going to start to see, oh, these highlights that are coming out, you know, like the turnovers even from the defense. Like, yeah, the defense is not necessarily playing consistently, and there's been, you know, big gashing plays that they've given them. But at the end of the day, how many points did they give up? What's the, what's the score box look like? 45-17? That's all that. That's all that those kids are actually really seeing, especially the, the East Coast and when that game end, 11.30 at night. They're not watching the whole game to sit there and pick apart how, you know, the, 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 the safeties came up in the run game or, or who was getting off their blocks in the edge and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, what they're going to see is the box score of, you know, 41, what was it? 41, 20, or I can't even remember the Stanford score, um, 45, 17 Fresno state. They're seeing blowouts and then they're going to get this nice little package, social media, showing all the highlights from the defense and all they're going to see is dudes getting sacks and getting interceptions and getting fumble returns. And they're going to be like, damn, I want to dude, I want to run into the end zone with football as a linebacker. You know, that was one of the things that, uh, that Noah McHale said, he was like, I was really intrigued, you know, by all these pick sixes. I mean, two of them from linebackers, like that's what, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to do. That's how I envision myself playing at the college football level. So, yeah, um, I, I think there's going to be some action there with some of these guys that are supposedly committed to other schools that people are just writing off. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, these guys pop up at USC. Popping up indeed. And that's going to bring a close to the listener questions. And Does it have to, Chris? Does it have to bring you a close? Where are we time-wise? Could we get to Ger- three hours? Gerard, I, I think we did it. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we absolutely did it. I'm just, like, doing the math in my head. Because we, we did stop recording for one for the break, and I'm going to have to add these two. But I'm no mathematician, but I think we did it. Um, well, when did I, I don't, time, do you, right? do you have done, anything, to, do you have anything to say for yourself? That's, <laughs> didn't we have I, a three-hour podcast before? Didn't we have one during the summer? No, we've never had. We came really close. We had like a two-hour and fifty-seven-minute one. But I'm, I have I have a couple cuts to make. 
but not a lot. And I think uh, I think we did it. We could answer all of Austin's questions just <laughs> to be safe. No. I I even without Austin's <laughs> questions, the rest of his questions, I feel like I feel like we did it. I'm looking at it right now. I feel like we firmly hit it. Well, and I'm terrified for what this means in the future. I'm I'm terrified for what the 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 P is going to do. The 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 three hourers, the longer the better crowd versus the make it 45 minutes and out crowd. I have no idea what's going to happen listen, when this goes. As up. long as long as there's timestamps, not to be yeah. I got the timestamps. Tramp okay, not to be confused. Not tra- not tra- not timestamps. Time um, yes. Then we're good. We're Gucci. We're Gucci, man. We're Gucci. Okay. We're, 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 we're addressing both factions of the peristyle. We're the best of both worlds, Chris. It's Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth. That having two stars could be a lot better than having one. Uh, do you have anything to say for yourself, though? No. Um, do you want to thank anybody? For hosting the, the podcast and staying up this late. I mean, Chris yeah. is uh, he's working both beats and, uh, you know, it's 1220 at this point a.m. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see you in the war room. We'll see you in the war room. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. I'm proud of us. I'm also slightly disgusted in us that we, we that we got to this point with we, we went three hours. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Historic. A lot of history made in this podcast. Will anyone listen to the whole thing? I'm sure they will because they're animals. Uh, but I'm Chris. That's Hurricane, and we will catch you next time on the next Composites to SAR Recruits. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.